Robin, I know you're upset, but this is not an appropriate way to blow off steam. You should have joined the Young Men's Basketball League or taken up model kit building. For your own good, when we get home, you're grounded. Not if I put you in the ground first. <laughs> Robin, old chum, what's happened? Batman, stay away! Ah! How's that for a sidekick, old chum? Batman, look out! Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support the Batman Universe by heading over to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. You're on episode 144. My name is Tim, and as always, I am joined by Dane. Dane, how's it going? It's going good. You know, uh, we're glad that we can get two in a row without having yeah. to take a break, or, <laughs> or Tim isn't on, or I'm not on, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I know, sad to say you know, how recently it's been. This is a good streak for us. Yeah, no, <laughs> two, two weeks in a, or two episodes in a row. Yeah, can you believe it? Two in a row, Tim. Uh, let's see if we can make it three. <laughs> don't, don't, don't jinx us. Definitely. That's true. Yeah, you gotta be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing okay, but I remember on our last episode, that was game seven of the ALCS with the Yankees and Astros. And right, right. Now the baseball season's over and the Astros are world champions. So I think you can probably take a guess of how game seven of the ALCS went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't go good for you, Tim. But no, it did. It was a great World Series. Went seven games. That I it was. I always yes. like to see. Uh, World Series go to seven games unless the A's are in it, which which they're not never going to be in. Um, yeah, I put I sent the tweet out for the ALCS Game Seven. Like Game Sevens are the best things in baseball unless your team is in it yeah. <laughs> and they had a three two lead or a three one lead or something like that. Then it's the worst thing ever because you're on the brink of blowing it. <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe this is the first Astros World Series win. I I I could have swore they they've, they've been won one before. No, they've been in a World Series once before, back in 20, 2005, yeah, but they never won it. That's what I'm thinking about. And who, who did they lose to in 2005? The White Sox. Oh, the White Sox. Oh. Oh, I mean, I could have swore that <laughs> I've seen the Astros in a World Series, and I guess that was it. And I, I, <laughs> I, much, I yeah. just told myself that they won it. Yeah, they got swept, too, in that series. That wasn't a memorable one for them. <laughs> Well, they did good this series. Um, I have to ask you, uh, if you're Dave Roberts in Game 7, mm-hmm. and you, Darvish, gives up, what was it, like two or three runs? Give up two in the first. Yeah, two. Do you pull him after that? Yeah, I would see how he did in the second inning, but as soon as someone else got on, if it was a hard hit ball or something, I would have got him out of there. I definitely yeah. would have wouldn't have left him in to give up that home run to George Springer, which, you know, pretty much ended the game right there even though it was the second inning but who would you have uh put in yeah if someone was on i think he made the right move as far as bringing in one of his you know bullpen relievers to get out of an inning with runners on but then after that you know i would have done what he did put kershaw in to eat up those innings which which worked but unfortunately (laughs) they're already down five nothing so yeah if kershaw could have pitched that good 
in uh, game five, then Dave Dodgers would have won that series. But <laughs> he spit the bit in that one. <laughs> Four nothing lead, couldn't hold that. Then he got a seven four lead, couldn't hold that. Well, um, you know, at least I can say, I mean, uh, this is coming from an A's fan, right? Mm-hmm. And it sucks seeing another team win the World Series, but I'm so glad that Josh Reddick got a World Series. Yeah, that was the good thing about the Astros winning. There were some players I was happy to see get rings, yeah, like Beltron and McCann, who were on the Yankees. But Beltron has been, you know, almost like a 20-year veteran now <laughs> to finally get a World Series ring is good. And then Verlander too, being such a great pitcher, and now he finally has a ring. So yeah, this is his like third World Series, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the other two, if I'm not mistaken, they got swept. Uh, they didn't get swept. They lost four to one in both oh. series. I believe. Yeah, to the Cardinals and the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to see uh, Josh Reddick get a ring finally. You know, um, too bad he couldn't do it with the A's, but the A's are far far away <laughs> from where the Astros and and even the Dodgers are. You know, so it's great to see. Yeah, well, at least you got a little, yeah, a little consolation there seeing a former A get a ring, <laughs> even though he did nothing in the series. He was like one for 20 or something like that. But still, <laughs> but, but, but still, Tim. Yeah. Still. <laughs> Sorry to rain on your parade. <laughs> your very small Oakland parade. <laughs> and Rich Hill making it to a World Series, a uh, relief pitcher. Yeah, and he um, pitched good, too. Yeah. If anything. He got taken out too soon, which caused I think cost the Dodgers in game two. And I I think Morrow was an A at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Or am I just making that up? Yeah, that I'm not sure on. Brandon Morrow. Wouldn't surprise me. A lot of people go through Oakland I know. <laughs> and then make it to better teams. <laughs> I know. The amount of people that, should, that that go through Oakland and then end up winning World Series is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, poor Oakland. <laughs> I don't know why they can't hold on to these guys. I mean, was Josh Re- Josh Reddick really that much of a asset? Uh, I forget how much he made at free agency, but he did, you know, score a pretty big payday. So I think more than what Oakland probably would have paid for him. So oh, yeah, totally. And I know they had zero plans on keeping him. Um, yeah, the beginning of last season was it? Yeah, last season. Yeah, he got traded in the trade deadline last year. Yeah, yeah, it was the beginning of last season. And then I think they didn't even negotiate. It was more like a, yeah, we can't afford you. So Yeah, like just play with us for a little bit and then we'll, we'll probably trade you. So. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I think it was even in uh, spring training, I think they told him, yeah, we can't. I mean, you're way beyond our, on our <laughs> budget. Yeah. <laughs> Sad to say. Yeah, unfortunately. But at least on, on the Yankee side, I mean, disappointing they didn't make it to the World Series, but it was still such a great season for them, surpassing everyone's expectations of how far they would make it. I mean, yeah. if they were fighting for a second wild card spot, spot, that would have been a successful season for them. So for them to make it to Game 7 of the ALCS was great, and the future is definitely bright for them. So I'm excited for next year. Really? Even though, they, even, though, even though they let uh, Girardi go? Yeah, I don't know about that one. I mean, yeah. he did a good job with this team. Like I said, surpassing expectations. And even when they didn't make the playoffs, they still had a winning record and were better 
than what they should have been. So I can understand being there 10 years and the Yankees wanting a new voice in the clubhouse. But at the same time, he did he didn't do nothing wrong as far as uh, to warn him yeah. not coming back, except for that not challenging that replay call in the Cleveland series. But they won that series, so they can't hang that on him too much. But. So so why did they uh, let him go? Just because he wasn't um, meeting, meeting their expectations? Yeah, it's kind of for the, they want a new voice in the clubhouse, someone who can, I think, connect a little better with the younger players. I think they kind of want a younger manager. Uh, I see. So, yeah, I'm really curious yeah. to see who they're going to get. Yeah, it might even they? be like a first-time manager type thing. Who could they get? I mean, are, is it like outside of the Yankee system sort of thing? It or could is be. it going to be a... In- it's either going to be them promoting someone from within or yeah. getting like a former Major League Baseball player to be a first-time manager. Like some of the names I'm hearing are Raul Labanez, who was on the Yankees in 2012. and Yeah. Jerry Harrison Jr. who was on them with uh, in 2009. So those are the names that are being rumored about right now. So mm. I'm kind of hoping it is someone that was an ex-player and then who comes in instead of, you know, just promoting someone. I mean, it would be good to see someone from, you know, their minor league system or within the organization move up a ranks, but I kind of like it when it's a former player who becomes a manager. Joe Bacheverland. Oh man, <laughs> he just retired, right? He's that young. he did. <laughs> He's oh, still boy. young. <laughs> that yeah, he is young. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he have like a at one point he had like a fourteen ERA as a? Um, I think it was in the. I, I think it was in like the twenties in the playoffs. No, wasn't yeah. like a, in the hundreds, wasn't it? What? <laughs> I think we were joking around about that back in the playoffs when he was with the Tigers and he just came in and gave up tons of runs yeah and like couldn't get one out so it was like ERA jumped to a hundred or something like that <laughs> does that happen is it, it, I mean is that just the uh, sample uh, problem like he, he didn't have enough uh, appearances I think he did too I mean, it was just real it was just a bad stretch that he was in during that playoff run and it Costa. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that sounds that sounds like he gave, he gave away a whole like a grand slam every single appearance. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Like when you give up four or five runs and can't get anyone out, like that's gonna jump your ERA quite a lot. <laughs> well, uh, at least he had a long career. I don't know how he had a long career, but well, it should have been longer with how <laughs> with how good he was when he burst on the scene ten years ago. Yeah. But, <laughs> this goes to show you how hard this game could be. Even though you you know have good stuff at one point, it could go away like that. I wonder if uh, I wonder if he retired because um, he uh, he only got a minor league contract, or he didn't get any contracts at all. I don't think he got any. Or he, he got minor league contracts this year, but didn't go anywhere. Like he never pitched in the big leagues this year, so he probably just figured, you know, it's probably it. Yeah, probably not gonna go. Don't want to go through that again. So I might as well just retire. Oh, and you know what I was going to talk to you about, Tim? What happened to the the Orioles? Remember, like back like a couple of years ago, they were contenders for the ALCS, a- ALDS, the World Series. Well, they were actually contenders for the first three months of the season, but then their yeah. pitching fell apart. Like they uh, pretty much had the worst starters ERA in all the American League. So, wow, worse yeah, that, than the that Worse than yeah, the I'm not sure. I know it's one of the worst. I don't yeah. know if it's the worst, but they're on the bottom with starting pitching. It was really bad. Uh, yeah, I was wondering what, what, what like, 
what happened to them, you know? Yeah, I mean, they still got some good young players, position players, but they're pitching. They that needs a big overhaul. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Well, uh, not for the Yankees. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, division. Since they're in the same division. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a wrap on the 2017 baseball season. Congratulations <laughs> to the Astros, and but yes, enjoy it while you can. The Yankees are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but as always, I guess we can go ahead and get into our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary to get the show rolling. So we're going to be on minute 93 to minute 94. So as always, get your HD DVD player, your VHS player, your Betamax player, your Laserdisc player, your Netflix physical media disc, your Blockbuster Blockbuster video membership card. Oh, Tim, did did you see that thing I retweeted on the yeah, uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. From uh, yeah, apparently they're still alive. Blockbuster huh? is huge <laughs> in Alaska. Who would have thought? Because they don't have you know high, high speed internet or it's not as accessible as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they rent movies, physical movies, physical DVDs or Blu-rays from Blockbuster. Blockbuster Blockbuster is thriving in Alaska. <laughs> thriving. <laughs> Never it's, thought I'd hear those uh, words again, Blockbuster thriving. <laughs> that that completely blew my mind. They have merchandise there. I don't know if you watched the video, Tim, but they have No, uh, I did. I just saw the tweet. They they have Blockbuster merchandise, um, t-shirts, grab bags, mugs, uh, water bottles. Um, they even send people um, replica Blockbuster cards. Remember the Blockbuster cards, Tim? Oh, of course I do. Yeah, they they send replica Blockbuster cards. Wow. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And this place was packed. This Blockbuster was, pla- was packed, Tim. And do they say how many stores are there? Like, no, or, no. They, it, I, I, I'm sure it's more than one because it, it looked pretty busy and people actually go there. So, yeah, Blockbuster's thriving in Alaska. It's 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 so amazing, and I'm so happy that people are still enjoying Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> it, it hasn't fully died yet. Maybe we should take it out of our dead media formats <laughs> when watching the dark night rises but. well for our alaska listeners if we have any yeah i guess we'll just say minus alaska yeah minus alaska. <laughs> in the future. Uh, and there you go y- you know what i totally forgot about not only did you have to return the tape on a certain day but it was by a certain time too yep that's right i totally forgot about that because i guess somebody was checking out and they were like okay it's due next week wednesday or whatever at 8 8 p.m or 10 p.m I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that there was time, uh, a time limit on that. Mm-hmm. And for VHSs, you always had to make sure they were rewound. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you get charged. I believe so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought you missed those days. <laughs> yes, I do. But um, every time I turn on my, my Blu-ray player, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm so with technology, you know, because I don't have to rewind anything. I don't have to, yeah. you know. Mm, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's still as convenient as everything is now. It's still fun to look back at those old days of watching movies and videotapes and bringing them back and renting them. Yeah. <laughs> good times, indeed. Very, very good. 
But anyway, let's go ahead and start the commentary. So, minute 93. I'll give the countdown, and we can begin in 3, 2, 1, play. As Paolo was saying, the neutron bomb is fully activated. I like uh, where, you know, Bane is talking to Paolo, but he's looking at himself on the screen, it seems like. <laughs> on the big jumbo draw like making sure he looks good while he's doing this <laughs> yeah and at first i didn't know how he got that mic but mm. <laughs> but, but that's the refs the the referee's mic right yeah i think you you see him picking up as he's walking on the field oh probably on the last minute <laughs> yeah but where's the referee you know like i didn't see any well maybe he fell into the pit but his oh. headset Fell off him. <laughs> it was <just> landing there. <laughs> it all worked out conveniently for Bane. Yeah. And we're not going to finish the end of his speech. No, we're not. Is up. <laughs> and is that cameraman still around? Is he like shooting Bane? I mean, is he like uh, filming him, or is is it the huh. camera just on him? It just so happened to be on him. That's yeah. the good question. Like, is it an automated camera? And, yeah. like, but through all the dis- destruction that was happening, you think it'd get knocked out of whack or something? Around, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened to land on the spot where Bane so <laughs> wanted to give a speech. <laughs> yeah, see, Bane, everything worked out for Bane in this sequence here. I guess here. so. He got the mic, he got the, <laughs> the camera. The camera, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, See, more new perspective on The Dark Knight Rises we didn't have when we saw it the first well, time. Well, I ago. mean, honestly, Tim, that's the point of this commentary to yep. go scene by scene, uh, second by second, minute by minute to find every single aspect. <laughs> and this is why it's worth it. All <laughs> 93 minutes worth. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, speaking of, of it being worth it, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember how I was texting you uh, last night about Stranger Things 2? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on what I think was the worst episode of Season 2, and probably Stranger Things as a whole. Okay. Um, you see, now I'm thinking, because I ha- I don't want to spoil it, because you, you haven't seen it yet. Not I don't yet. I want to spoil it for you. I wanted to watch it last weekend, but... Uh, busy with stuff and then like the new mario came game came out yeah. then i was playing that like oh shoot I'm yeah how not is time that? to watch it and then now how, how, i was gonna watch it this weekend yeah but then uh my mom sent me a text saying hey i want you like i want to start watching stranger things i know you've seen it like okay i'll rewatch the first season with you <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna rewatch the first season with her and then probably go into season two so it might yeah. be a little bit before i finish the second season how is that mario game no it's really good it's really, really good. So it's like just, a open world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of your typical Mario game. You travel to different worlds and kingdoms and collect, you know, for it with stars. But this one, it's moon yeah. shines, and so you just collect those stuff in each map and travel to the next one. But so you collect those moons. Mm, yeah, there's tons. I think it's like over six hundred in the game. Yeah, because I saw a tweet or something saying like, or this article, this guy found like four hundred of those moons. In one level. Wow, one level? Dude, I didn't hear yeah. that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why everybody, or I was reading the comments and everybody's saying, no, that's fake. That's, you know, whatever. Okay. But yeah, I just didn't, I didn't know what that was. And so, so it's a, it's a, it's a good game. Oh yeah, it's really fun. Good. It's a good platformer game, which, you know, 
all Mario games are. Nintendo does it better than anyone yeah. else. And the graphics are really, really good. It's nice and colorful. And, you know, finally, it's good to play a Mario game in HD, finally. So <laughs> I just need more time to play it. Like, I'm pretty much with anything now. I was like, played a little bit, and then I get, you know, life continues on. I'm not able to play it as much as I want to. So I'd probably be a while before I beat it. But a Battlefront 2 comes out in just two weeks. So I'm hoping I can get the main quest done before then and then, you know, slowly collect stars or the moons like from here and there. But as long as I have the main quest completed. So do you still have to jump on those mushroom guys, the Koopas? Oh, of course. That's a staple of a Mario game. (laughs) But the big difference in this one, Mario's hat, you can throw it at pretty much almost any enemy and objects and you take control of them. So you can take control of a Goomba walk around as it stack them up together to reach high places so yeah. that's a lot of fun of the games taking control of different enemies and creatures that you see throughout the maps yeah you see i've i haven't played a a mario game since uh uh not super mario uh, mario 64 okay which is still the best one in my opinion yeah yeah so it's not a platformer anymore it's more like an open world kind of you control mario and he goes around different levels and is there, is there like an it's ending a, to it? Like, yeah, you there make is. Your way to an ending. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's not like a like a Skyrim kind of thing. No, it's not fully open world, but there's elements to it. Yeah. But it's a good mix of like Mario sixty four style and having more open worlds to it. But. Did they um, did they bring over that face thing that you could do with Mario? Like the you mean the menu for the sixty four one? Yeah, where you can make uh, different faces on. It. Yeah. No, I no. wish they did, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of good to have that be a unique thing for the N64 game. Because yeah. that, that was fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, so. It, did you play the uh, Metroid? Uh, the last there a Metroid? new Metroid? The, there said there's one in development. And they just released a new one for the uh, 3DS, but I haven't played that one. It's been a while since no. there's been a new console Metroid game. Oh, oh, I thought it was a new one. I thought it was like a. No. Uh, for, for the. Um, not the Wii U. Um. <laughs> the switch yeah the switch <laughs> i don't know i completely forgot about the um, the new platform but it seems like the the switch is going to be the new wii u or it's it's not so much like a playstation or an xbox as much as they wanted it to be but it's going to be like the the marios the zeldas yeah just like the wii u is going to be with with sort of like all right ports of popular games mm-hmm no, so, yeah, yeah, I agree. And then, but at the same time, that's pretty much what everyone who buys the Nintendo systems want it for—the first-party games. So, yeah, if there are more third-party games. That's good, but at the same time, you really just want the first-party games to be, you know, the best that are on the system. And so far, they're doing really good with that with Zelda and Mario. Yeah. So, hopefully, it continues. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to play Mass Effect on your Switch? Well, I don't think there's going to be a new Mass Effect game for a while, but yeah, I know what yeah, you mean. They, but they yeah. probably, they're probably going to hold off on that. One. Yeah, I still got to play the new one, Andromeda. This yeah. is a kind of all the negative feedback I've heard about it. It's yeah, like, it gets kind of real, maybe less enthusiastic about to yeah, start it right away. It gets real boring after a while. <laughs> That's disappointing. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not so much like you got to save the universe. It's more like you have to do this small science project. <laughs> 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 I 
you know wow <laughs> and and when the first when the game first came out i bought it and there were a lot of bugs in it um that's what i've heard too yeah. I, don't, I don't care if it's a cinematic bug i can look past that but when it's part of the integral gameplay like um there are these puzzles which are like sudoku puzzles okay and if you didn't get it right the first time it would um I guess bug out or something, and then the only way you can complete it is if you had saved it before. If you had saved uh-huh. the game before, you did the Sudoku puzzle, and then you would have to relaunch the game, go back to your save, and hopefully you got it right that second time. Otherwise, you'd have to do the whole thing over again. Wow, man! See, yeah. like those, that type of stuff is inexcusable to launch a game like that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they solved that problem. I mean... I would hope so by now. (laughs) At first, I thought it was me. Um, You know, like, I thought that you only got one chance at these things. It's it's, it's for, like, some some more, you know, intelligence or, you know, technology or whatever. Um, Mm. At first, I thought it was me, but apparently it was a bug. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. So... It's... it, It would have been fine if it was just, like, a side thing, but it it actually plays into parts of the missions. So it's got irritating after a while. I can imagine, man, yeah, that's yeah. It's terrible that they let that go with it. But, yeah. Uh, Mass Effect. I, I love those first three games. They're, they're one of my favorite game series. It was really disappointing to hear that about Andromeda. Yeah. And it looks and like, uh, fallen. it has fallen. Yeah. It looks like EA, right. Or mm. yeah. EA isn't going to do one for, for a while. Yeah, so they said like they're putting on hold for a bit. Yeah, but anyway, yes, uh, Stranger Things. Um, Eleven goes on a adventure. Okay. Yeah, away from uh, the people on the show, mm. and that was wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> and I think that was what um, what kind of like led me to be like. You know, I'm not really sure about this show. Like, I'm not really sure about season two, because at the time, I, 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 I just thought it was like, you know, beyond the '80s references. You know, the like going a little overboard. Yeah, going over with the '80s references. Okay. And like, if you take away that, what kind of story do we have? And there really isn't a story. But um, with the second, because. Yeah, I'm on the second to the last episode. It gets really, really good after that. So, yeah, it's definitely very, very good. This the the All Stranger right. Things season two. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I've heard it's like really good, like a great follow up to it. And sometimes I've heard, you know, it's good, but not as good as season one. So, where would you compare it to season one? Um, probably it's season one is better because okay. the the uh in and this isn't a spoiler, Tim, so you don't have to worry about it if you watch the trailer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the groups, the, the group has separate storylines. So, okay. um, you know, two, two of the group are off doing this, two of the group are off doing that. And then 11 is off doing her own thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a, you, you just have to wait to the end. Well, for okay. me anyway, you just have to wait till the end for it to all come together because in the beginning it's like, okay, but. I watch Stranger Things for the the group dynamic, right? Mm. Because they cast them really well, they they write the group really well, but 
they split them up in the season and it's like, ah, I don't know if this is really working out, but I have to say it comes together uh, in the end. I'm on the last episode, so yeah, it it really comes together. And um, there's definitely a story. I was definitely wrong about like the, the 80s references, you know, the Ghostbusters stuff, the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. You know, it really made me think like, is, is there anything else to this show besides you know, if you grew up th- grew up in the eighties or n- early nineties, that you would get these references. But yeah, there's definitely a lot more to this show. So yeah, yeah, like I said, it pays off. Good to hear. Yeah, because that's what made season one so great. The story on it and the characters were really well yeah. done. You know, we really got invested in. But then the nostalgia aspect of the eighties and the references is just like the icing on the cake that makes it yeah. that, that little extra more special. So it's good that you know. It all comes together, at least by the end for you, that it yeah. continues with season two. Yeah, and yeah, it, 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 it was just that seventh episode. The seventh episode in the in the uh, second season is, well, for me, it wasn't very good. I didn't really like it. Um, it, it it's it, probably it, the one you're talking about because the only thing, like I, I read, I think it was on IGN where they were reviewing each episode, like the tagline. For, I didn't click and read the review. I just saw the tagline. Yeah. It says, uh this episode of Stranger Things was like, it was too funny for, or try to have too much humor in it for its own good, but then it kind of balanced it out later on. Was it something where it was like trying to be too funny in certain spots with those references? No, no, it, it, it wasn't the references. It was more of the story, you know, because they don't really, I mean, they, they kind of had, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that. You've probably seen the picture on Twitter of Eleven with her hair jailed back. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's the episode. Okay, um, and uh, it, it wasn't so much the references; it was just the story. I mean, it's an integral part of the story. Uh, it's really, really important to the story. But I just felt that it's it's like they tried too hard, you know. With the you know, I'm just gonna stop there. Okay, <laughs> because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just they 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 try too hard to to force that story like oh, okay you know this is this is what happened you know it's it, they just tried a little too hard um because it was leading to to such a great place but it felt really forced in that episode but you know it it works out Tim. trust me <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah hopefully i'll be able to finish it pretty soon yeah <laughs> like i said going through season one right now again and then get right into season two i'm looking forward to it but with that i guess we can go ahead and get into our featured topic for this episode which is going to be something i did see recently but not when it first came out that's my i guess theme going on right right now where things come out i don't see it right away and i get to it later than i want to or intend to but uh, this is going to be a review of the animated movie batman versus two-faced it's continuing on the 60s batman tv show and sadly of course we know this is the last performance of adam west as batman so kind of made a little bittersweet watching it uh knowing that this is the last time we're going to hear adam west as batman but going into it i was looking forward to this because first off we have uh two-face which was a villain that was never in the actual 60s shows that they're bringing into it and i know they did in the i believe they brought him into the comic run that they had of the 60s tv show And they were basing it off of some uh, scripts they had for an episode that was never made. So I'm not sure if this movie was 
taking anything from the, that comic or those early scripts, but I kind of get the feeling it didn't. It was just doing its own thing. But yeah, looking forward to that because of Two-Face and also because uh, William Shatner is voicing Harvey Dent in Two-Face. I mean, I said that's when they first announced it and they put out that trailer, how that alone has me anxious to see this and have William Shatner be part of this universe and voice an iconic Batman villain. So um, in the end, it's a movie that I enjoyed, but not quite as much as I did the first one, uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders. That one just nailed the feel and this, the absurdity of the 60s TV show and just took it to another level. It just made it really fun and entertaining to watch. And this one had those moments, but not quite the same. Uh, the story for this one it's a two-faced story that only could be done in the 60s TV show and in the Adam West universe because it did some unique and sometimes ridiculous things with how uh, Harvey Dent became two-faced. So uh, the basic premise of the movie, it starts off with Hugo Strange being introduced into this universe as well. And he had an assistant, Dr. Harleen Quinzel, which was kind of cool. She was only in it at the very beginning, but he's developed this device that's just going to suck the evil out of all of Batman's villains. So they bring in the Joker, the Penguin, Mr. Freeze, uh, Egghead, uh, the Riddler, all into this machine to try to suck the evil out of them. They're all in these chairs and like this device put on their brains and they're going to suck it out. I just like it too where Harley or Joker kind of sees Harley and he like gives a wink at her and Harley blushes and gives a wink back at him, kind of setting it up <laughs> where you know things would go. I would love to see you a Harley Quinn and Joker dynamic in the sixties universe. I mean, I don't know if we're going to probably not going to get it in the animated front now with uh, Adam West no longer being with us, but uh, I thought that would have been cool to see. And if I'm not mistaken, they might've done that in the comic as well. That one I'm not sure on, but anyway, the device is sucking out all the evil of the Batman's villains. It's they're making it like this toxic gas cloud and it's putting it into this container and Harvey Dent, Batman and Robin are there to, to witness this. But then the villains say, okay, let's overload this machine. Let's, let's give it all the evil it's want, it wants. And then it overloads it. The system becomes critical. It explodes, causes an accident. And the evil gas comes out. And it hits Harvey Dent. And thus making a scar in his face as Two-Face. But now that it was that gas was full of the evil of the Batman supervillains, that's now in Harvey Dent. And that's why he becomes evil as Two-Face with the split personality. It's because of the evil that was in that gas. So not your typical Two-Face origin, but one that I think works in the wackiness of the animated series or the Adam West series. But what kind of took me by surprise is he becomes Two-Face at the very beginning. And I was thinking, oh, that was quick. I thought we would get more of Harvey Dent. That's because then after that, the little prologue there, it goes into the title sequence and they're showing Batman and Robin taking down Two-Face in various, you know, instances of him committing crimes. That was the opening credit scene for uh, the movie. And after that, they apprehend him and he's in jail already. Okay, so I know we're going to get something different here. If they already captured him and Harvey Dent's already Two-Face. Because then the next, it opens up next with Harvey waking up in the hospital bed. Bruce and Dick are there. Uh, he's cured. His face is back to normal. He's saying, you know, the evilness inside him is gone. He's trying to get his reputation back up as a district attorney. And we see after that, Batman take out uh, King Tut and Bookworm uh, make appearances. So they were like the first half of the movie is Batman taking them down. And but once they get captured, the things they stolen were they can't be found. Like King Tut stole a biplane and Bookworm was trying to get these like ancient books, uh, and the theme, you know, I'll get to that later, but 
Uh, there were some books that have a theme to it. And then once they get captured, uh, Harvey Dent would prosecute him and send him back to jail. That's because he, <laughs> at first they give him his job as not district attorney, not assistant district attorney, but the assistant to the assistant <laughs> of the district attorney. But then he works his way back up to becoming a district attorney when Batman captures these high profile villains like King Tut and Bookworm. But then they kind of what I kind of liked about it at first was that it was creating a mystery as far as uh, the character Two-Face because we eventually uh, find out that Two-Face is behind, you know, setting up King Tut and Bookworm and that he's actually working with Harvey Dent because there's a sequence where we see Harvey talking to Two-Face on the phone. It's like, hey, we had a deal. I'd uh, set these villains up, have them give them a like a gold or an object to steal. You capture Batman and Robin captures them. You prosecute them. I get the items I want. You get your reputation back and all that. So it's kind of, okay, what, where are they going with here? Are they doing a split personality thing where it looks like there's another Two-Face, but it's really Harvey talking to himself? Is someone impersonating Harvey or someone impersonating Two-Face? So it had a little good mystery thing going on there for a little bit. But it turns out uh, Robin is still suspicious of Harvey being Two-Face once Batman and Robin learn that, you know, Two-Face is still out there. But there was instances where Batman and Robin would confront Two-Face and they go straight to Harvey's office and he's there kind of showing you, okay, there's no way he could be both. But Robin is still leery. And there's a <laughs> this is probably the best part of the movie where Robin goes to investigate or tracks Harvey, follows him and he goes to the old laboratory where that evil extractor was at and he confronts Harvey and Harvey's like, no, what are you doing? Get out of here. And then he gets knocked out from a shadowy figure from behind and you just see Robin laying on the floor and you hear two phase talking, you know, knowing that he's there. But at the same time, you just saw Harvey. So it had me going, I got to say where it looks like there could be two of them. But then after that, we see Two-Face just there by himself. There's no Harvey Dent. And for some reason, they had half of Two-Face, like his human side, always in the shadows. Every time he was on screen, kind of want to try to have you create the mystery of, you know, you don't know who exactly he is. But they didn't do a good job of completely shadowing it because you could tell it's still that Harvey Dent face. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, it was kind of cool that they modeled him after William Shatner himself, you could definitely tell it's a Shatner Harvey Dent. It looked like Captain Kirk in a suit, <laughs> which was a, I thought was pretty cool. But he induces Robin with that evil toxin to bring out the Two-Face and Robin. So we pretty much got a Two-Face Robin <laughs> for a sequence. And this is my favorite part of the movie that had me busting out laughing. Batman goes to search for Robin. He finds him just, you know, destructing this, the neighborhood, breaking cars with a pole, breaking windows and stores. So the Batman goes to confront him. They have a little fight with some typical hammy, funny dialogue. Robin kicking Batman. He's going, how's that for a sidekick? <laughs> Batman telling Robin he's grounded. But the best part of the whole movie, as Batman has to fight back, he slaps Robin right in the face. And it's laid out and directed just like that classic Batman slapping Robin meme that you see everywhere. <laughs> it was just a funny, it's like a great nod to that meme that everyone has seen. It just laid out so perfectly the way Batman slaps him, the way Robin's head turns when he gets slapped. And then you have the classic Adam West, you know, words that pop up when someone gets hit. It's a big slap that goes on the, the screen. And it was all done in slow motion to really sell the effect of what they were trying to do. It was just like a really great nod to that. So bravo to everyone who did that. It's just funny to see that meme brought to life in an animated way. And it had me busting out laughing when I first saw it. But the movie 
kind of goes forward to where uh, they're, Harvey Dent's supposed to having this a charity event, and he's uh, doing it to where he wants Batman and Bruce there, but Bruce agrees to go, but Batman doesn't, and he's starting to get suspicious where you know, it looks like that they could be the same person. And then we get to a moment where he captures them as they go to investigate. And he, as he has them captured, this is where we get the reveal that Harvey was Two-Face all along. But like I said, only in the Adam West universe was this version of Two-Face. He could kind of repress his evil side and his facial scars at will and bring it out at will. Like you could see a little transformation, kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing where he just he's talking to Batman Robin it's Harvey Dent but then all of a sudden he just brings out the Two-Face and the scarring and all that so that was one thing where like okay maybe they could have just try not to keep it too much of a mystery of trying to see who this actual Two-Face was I think it would have been better if, like I said they kind of had a good mystery thing going but at the same time it just ended up being what every Two-Face story ends up being where you know it's just Harvey kind of battling himself kind of not knowingly doing it but knowingly doing it at the same time for this version so i was kind of hoping they would do it where someone was impersonating harvey or two-face kind of do something a little different and bring in because i was hoping maybe oh maybe they're going to do like bring clayface into this universe too and he's impersonating harvey dent while harvey's really two-face some to that effect but i could see why they still want to go with the dual personality aspect of harvey because it's such a classic story element of the character that you know they'd want to go to so uh, Harvey finds out Batman and, and Robin or Bruce and Dick. He actually takes off his mask. And some little nods to the animated series, I thought, here, too, because they wound up the angle where Bruce and Harvey are old friends. And then once he finds out his identity, he's going to auction off to a bunch of his rogues gallery, you know, kind of like the episode The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, where Hugo Strange is going to auction off the identity to Joker, Penguin, and Two-Face. So the way Two-Face did this here kind of reminded me of that episode, which is a nice little nod, but uh, Batman and Robin are, and also to another animated series nod. I thought he had him tied to a giant coin and was going to flip it over to some spikes, you know, in the episode almost got him two face had Batman tied to that giant penny. So kind of like to think that was another animated series, nod there, but Batman and Robin are able to escape with the help of Catwoman. They fight off uh, two face or all Batman's villains, like the Joker, Egghead, Mr. Freeze, you know, all those classic 60s villains. Then they go after Two-Face himself because his whole plan was he had King Tut steal the biplane. And with that, he was, as all the villains were at the auction, he was sucking more of the evil uh, tendencies that they have into that evil extractor. And then he was going to put it all in the biplane and spray it all across Gotham City, which he actually does because we see tons of people turn into Two-Faces. So it's funny how it just does half of it because in the beginning, it's just... Harvey, the way Batman pushed him, you would think the gas only got half of his face, which is why he's two-faced. But he's spraying it over all of Gotham, and only half their face <laughs> turns into the evil side, just like two-faced. But you would think it would be fully evil and cover the whole face. But uh, whatever. I know what they were trying to go for, make everyone like two-faced. But Batman and Robin stop the biplane. They, it crashes into an oil rink, and Batman faces two-faced alone, trying to reach Harvey one last time. And here's where it gets a little out there on the Two-Face front where Two-Face is fighting Batman and then he wants to rid Harvey Dent out of his personality for good because there's that little side of good that's pulling him not to do this. And so he just starts strangling himself, Two-Face does. And he just, you know, 
subdues the Harvey Dent part of his mind and this becomes full on two face by choking himself where his normal half side of his face is gone. He's just full on disfigured the full green uh, two face like can't even call him two face at this point. He's full face <laughs> of evil and he's fighting Batman that way. So kind of a dic- ridiculous way that, like I said, how he could just at will bring two face on and now just strangle Harvey physically strangle himself <laughs> and Harvey out of his psyche to become full blown two face or full blown evil. But uh, Batman is able to stop him by doing the old coin trick. Uh, Instead of his normal coin that he uses, Batman uh, switched it during the fight and gave him a blank coin. And with that, he couldn't decide if he should kill Batman once he had him down. And Batman's all, this is your chance, Harvey, to fight back and, you know, get rid of the evil side of you for good. So Harvey starts, says Two-Face physically choked himself to get rid of Harvey. Harvey starts punching himself to get rid of the evil side of him. And so eventually that works. He punches himself enough and the evil part of his brain is gone. And he's back to Harvey Dent and him and Batman make it out of there. So all of that was, it was crazy and ridiculous. But at the same time, it works in the course of the wackiness of the 60 TV show. That's why I said at the beginning, only this version of Batman Two-Face could work where he could, punch himself back <laughs> to Harvey Dent, choke himself into full-blown Two-Face, bring his crazy and evil side of him out at will. So it's ridiculous if you were, someone just told you they were doing a Two-Face story like that. But when it's done in the Adam West version, it, it's fine. It's a little wacky and out there, but what more could you expect <laughs> out of a uh, 60 TV show? So it ends with Harvey getting rehabilitated again. Looks like he's you know back to doing good, and he has that a bachelor auction that he was supposed to have originally but this time he's auctioning off Batman as a bachelor. And uh, of course, who pays for a date with Batman? Catwoman, who just happens to be in the audience in her full costume with nobody noticing. <laughs> That's where the movie ends. So I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, the gags and stuff and weren't as funny as I thought in the first one, except for the Batman slapping Robin meme. That was the best part. Then there was a nice little nod. There was a character who played a defense lawyer who was trying to go against Harvey when prosecuting some of the villains who was played by uh, Lee Merriweather the other actress who played Catwoman in the, in the movie, I believe the 66 movie. And then there was a moment where uh, Julie Newmar's Catwoman was in jail, had to used her to escape and switched places with her and put her in the Catwoman costume. And she looks in the mirror and is like, Ooh, this is actually pretty nice. So this is kind of a fun way to get two of the actresses who played Catwoman to actually be Catwoman in the movie. But other than that, Oh, there's some funny, cheesy dialogues, but like I said, not a lot of those good gags I thought the first one had. But at the same time, it was cool to still to see uh, this Adam West version of Batman take on Two-Face. And William Shatner did a great job, I got to say, both as Harvey and as Two-Face. He did a good job putting on that evil Two-Face voice for not sounding too much like Shatner. But there was there had to be one great Shatner moment where he does the classic Shatner acting. <laughs> That's where at the end he was struggling with Harvey Dent trying to get rid of the evil side of himself and to become, you know, back to being good. The typical Shatnerisms of acting that you would expect. So it was good to get one moment like that. So I enjoyed it. I'd probably go ahead and give it a three out of five. Like I said, not didn't enjoy it as much as the first one, but still a fun time with the Adam West version of Batman. And it was cool to see Two-Face. So I definitely would recommend uh, those who like it to check it out if you haven't yet. It's definitely a good time and you'll get some laughs out of it. Yeah, uh, and apparently Jordan also liked it for, uh, a lot too, right? 
Yeah, I believe he did too. So yeah, I've, I've heard mixed things going into it because uh, some other people I know said yeah, it was okay, not as good as the first one. So I kind of had my expectations in check a little bit, but at the same time, it was you know pretty much what I thought it was going to be. I was hoping it would be better than the first one because I like the premise of bringing Two Face in here. It wasn't. But it was definitely still very enjoyable and still inter- definitely entertaining, that's for sure. Oh, good, good. Yeah, so they were two for two with these uh, Adam West versions of the Batman uh, TV or the, the <laughs> movies of the TV shows, I should say. And at the end, they just had a nice yeah. uh, thing for a tribute to Adam West, just saying, you know, in memory of our good friend Adam West and, so made, and mentioned him as the bright knight at the end there, which I thought was a nice touch. So all the way around, just, you know, a good way for Adam West's last turn as Batman to be remembered by. So that's good for that as well. And if I'm not mistaken, our next episode is going to be your justice league review, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. In fact, (laughs) I I think it's the week that it comes out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all that weekend. Yeah. It's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to wait for that before I see it. Hopefully it'll be good as my Batman versus Two-Face movie yeah. <laughs> review of that. So. Yeah. But with that, I guess we go ahead to, to some of our news topics that we've got the past two weeks. Uh, the first one is some DC movie news we'll get to is that a Deathstroke movie has uh, been announced, which um, for me is cool. And at the same time, not I want to say disappointing, but a little worried that a sequence I'm dying to see might not be there. But um, it was reported by the Hollywood Reporter that Deathstroke is his own movies in the works by uh, the director of the Raid movies, Gareth Evans. And I don't know about you, Dane. I haven't seen the Raid movies in full, but I have seen sequences of the Raid movies because they're known for the great martial arts and action sequences. And from what I've seen, like the few that I have, they're really good. And it made me excited to know that uh, Gareth Evans is hopefully he'll get the gig and then we can get some amazing Deathstroke fight sequences because the character deserves that. That's what I think is going to be the big selling point and the big draw of Deathstroke is just, you know, as comic fans, we know how great he is at martial arts and the fighter that he is. And to be to see that on screen, hopefully be done in the way that some of those raid action sequences could be done would be amazing. And I think Deathstroke is a character that, you know, not only has uh, the action beats to carry a, a cool film, but he has the, backstory and the character arc that can really carry a film as well i mentioned this before when i was talking about the judas contract comic all they have to do is take inspiration from that if they're going to do an origin story for him that's all you need the blueprints there for a great character arc so the deathstroke solo movie i think could be really really good both from a story standpoint and for some really amazing action stuff so but the one thing i'm a little worried about is we might not get that Batman Deathstroke fight scene because we know that originally Deathstroke was uh, reportedly supposed to be involved in the Batman solo movie. And that got me excited to where, you know, we could see an amazing Batman and Deathstroke fight on the big screen. I mean, seeing that would blow me away (laughs) if done done right. So I don't know if Batman's going to be involved in the Deathstroke solo movie part of me right now thinks he won't be and vice versa for Deathstroke being in the Batman movie but uh, we don't know if there could be a moment where it builds to that maybe down the line in future movies or uh, in the movie they're going to do now so we'll just have to wait to see and hear more but I'm excited for it I think it'd be something really really cool if done right yeah uh, I mean come on let, let's face it Batman is going to be in the 
he is going to be in the Deathstroke movie. Um, he was in Suicide Squad for no reason, so, you know, why not? Uh, I have seen the, raid, the, the, the first Raid movie, because uh, mm-hmm. I know there's two. Is there three, or is there two? I think all I know of is two. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I saw the first one, and I think it really depends just, you, you know, what kind of fan you are. You know, it's the 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 first raid movie is just nonstop action, mm. right? And it's kind of light on story. I mean, but in that kind of movie, you don't really need that much story. I mean, it's yeah. not a serious drama. It's yeah, you know, what you're getting into when yeah, you yeah. see that type of movie. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be as much as what you want to see, Tim. More than what it's actually going to be, where it's just like kind of like the raid where it's 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 here's your story and then here's a bunch of action sequences but they're going to be really good they're going to tie everything together and uh, they're going to tie into the story and it's going to be a great movie because i really like that first raid movie um so i think that's what we're going to be getting with this uh director in this uh, deathstroke movie it's going to be more just you know it's it's a basic story and deathstroke is gonna you know fight guys you know and kill a bunch of people yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's where we're gonna get more than a more than a um you know serious you know justice league sized movie and i hope they keep i i hope and and this goes for the batgirl movie and this shazam movie and you know all these single character movies i hope they keep it small but particular particularly with this uh deathstroke movie i hope they just keep it small um this is just like a this is just kind of like the raid where it's just fight scenes. There's a little bit of story and the story is enough and it ties well together. And it's just a, 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 a awesome movie. So I, yeah, I think, I think that's what we're going to get. Yeah. I think that's probably the way Warner brothers wants to go have a, be kind of a smaller budget movie. Yeah. And, you know, not have it be as big epic extravaganza. Like you said, you know, but justice league and probably, yeah, uh, next Batman movie would be. But. Yeah, and I guess my my main point is, don't tie it into anything. I mean, just mm-hmm. let it be what it is. Um, the, sure, especially if it's going to be the first time we're going to see yeah. the movie version of Deathstroke. Well, I mean, we'll see if he has a cameo anywhere else. But yeah, if it's I his mean, first, it's if this movie that, is the first time we're going to see him. Then yeah, I agree. That seems to be the winning formula, mm-hmm. where it's. I mean, the, I think the only reason why there wasn't such a strong connection um to uh you know the the bigger dc universe in one woman was because it was it was set, set mostly in 1912 i think yeah. that's the only reason why and it seems to work it really seems to work so um yeah just don't try to force connect it into the bigger dc universe we don't need that it's just deathstroke Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, make it a small little mo- action movie. You know, nope, I agree. The only connection I would want to see is Batman, like I said before, because <laughs> they're just begging for a fight sequence between those two. It'll just blow my mind. Yeah. And so of yeah, course, I did say that uh, Joe Magniello is still involved with it. And then after like, like a few hours, he set, tweeted out a picture of the Deathstroke mask. So he's still pretty excited to you know, be in this role. So yeah. Oh, uh, you mean the the um the bully guy from the first Spider-Man? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> and Pee Wee Herman's new best friend. <laughs> Did you ever see that Pee Wee Netflix movie? No, I haven't. Is it, is uh, it was, good? It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> really. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, it was funny. So yeah, hopefully it won't be too long for the Deathstroke movie to get off the ground. Well, especially if it's uh, with Gareth Evans as a director and it's anything like those raid movies, it can be yeah. a truly unique comic book movie. So here's hoping it happens and we won't have to wait too long. I don't know. But it also, kind of feels like there's too too many movies, right? There's a lot uh, of movies announced or in yeah. development or ideas going around there. We'll see if they all come to fruition, but this is one I really hope that there's does. A, there's a bat a Batgirl movie. There's going to be a uh, not Poison Ivy. Um, oh, by Gotham the way, City Sirens. Yeah, Gotham City Sirens. But by the way, how many actresses have played uh, Poison Ivy in Gotham? <laughs> It's up to three like, now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's going on with that? Well, I mean, why do they keep on recasting it? I know. I think it has to do with some new story point from it. I haven't seen the last two weeks, the uh, last week and this week's yet, but I want to because I know it deals with Professor Pig. And yeah. S- seeing his mask in the previews, it looks like they're doing a good job with, you know, recreating Professor Pig in live action. So I'm anxious to see uh, yeah. what they do with him. Yeah, I was, I was just wondering because I saw the new casting announcement. And I was like, "This is like the, this is like the eleventh actress that they've got to play Poison Ivy." Yeah, but <laughs> something like that. Technically, it's three, but it does feel that way in the course of you know a TV show that's only had four seasons so far. They already have three actresses playing Poison Ivy. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, I just don't. I mean, we got the Batgirl movie, we got the Gotham City Sirens slash Harley movie, you know, we got this Deathstroke movie, we got the Shazam movie, we got the you know, Flash movie, we got the Batman movie, we got the, the Nightwing movie, movie too. the Nightwing movie, um, you know, this is like 15 movies that they're, they're trying to get into production, you know, yeah. so, I don't know, it, yeah. I just thought of something, too, as you are talking about that, because remember, there's that Joker movie that's supposed to be not oh, part of the DC right. movie universe. And part of, me is, yeah. part of me is wondering, too, if, you know, Deathstroke's going to fall into that category. I want it to be part of the main movie universe line or in continuity, yeah. but it wouldn't shock me at all, either, if certain characters like Deathstroke and some of the lesser, not to comic fans, but from a general audience, some of the lesser known uh, DC characters like Deathstroke, maybe they would put that in the... Elseworlds or other universe movie line that they're going to start. So that would be interesting to see if it's going to, what category that movie is going to fall into as well. But you know what I was thinking was it seems like Warner Brothers is trying to do what Disney slash Lucasfilm is trying to do. They're trying to have, oh, totally. Trying to have the main trilogy, the main movies, and then they're trying to have Solo and uh, Rogue One. Mm. You know, but the problem with that is everybody knows Han Solo. Right, mm-hmm. everybody knows kind of what happened with the with you know Rogue One, uh, sort sort of everything leading up to that. Uh, I don't really know if people really know or care about Death Deathstroke. You know, I don't know if everybody knows and cares about the Gotham City Sirens. You know, it's. Yeah, but you can say that about a lot of comic characters, though. Even the Marvel stuff. They just got to make sure it's good and market it in a way that's appealing to those casual audiences, which I think Deathstroke can definitely do with how cool his costume is. And like I said, going back to those Raid movies and 
the director being involved, some action sequence that just yeah. when people see trailers and commercials, go, oh man, that looks awesome. Got to go see that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see how many of these movies actually get off the ground, and you know how soon we're going to see them as well. Yeah, I mean, so just it's going to be a few years for this test joke movie. It seems like <laughs> so. Just focus on that uh, Batman movie in uh, 2020 or whatever. Yeah, hopefully it's 2020. <laughs> 2025, sorry. Uh, no. That would be way too long, man. <laughs> Don't say things like that. <laughs> but also some more DC movie news. As you mentioned, the Shazam movie, we have our Shazam. And it's been announced that Zachary Levi has landed the lead role of Shazam. And I really like this casting. It's not someone I would think of right away to be Shazam. But when you see Zachary Levi, it's like, yeah, I could totally see him pulling off you know the kid who's like the the man who's actually a kid inside and always has a smile on his face and you know can maybe have some old corny one-liners or jokes i could totally see zachary levi pulling that off i haven't seen too much stuff of zachary levi i know he was in chuck which is a show i haven't watched i have seen him in uh the thor movies (laughs) well uh, i just saw thor ragnarok and his role in that one is a blink and you miss moment. So uh, I won't spoil it, but he's not in it very long. And you like, you got to really quickly see that he's there, <laughs> but uh, he was good in Thor to the dark world as uh friend drill. He was like the Robin hood. The second one. Mm. Oh, oh I'm, I'm thinking about this new one. Sorry. <laughs> well, he wasn't this, he wasn't this one, but like I said, it's a blink and you miss a moment. <laughs> so, so who, who, who does he play? He plays like the character Frandrill, who's kind of one of the Warriors Three. He's almost like the Robin Hood type version, like the Robin Hood of Asgard, I guess you can say. Oh, he plays an Asgard person. Mm, yeah. So, by the way, how is that new Thor movie? I heard it's really, really good. Yeah, it is really good. No, is it? It's, it, it does it beat you over the head with the jokes, or is it okay? I've heard complaints joking. about that. Yeah, and I think it depends. On your sense of humor, I guess. I, yeah. There are a lot of jokes in it. Most of them worked for me. Some of them, you know, like any movie, didn't all work. But it didn't, yeah. for me, didn't feel like it was beating me over the head with it, which going into it, I thought might be the case because I knew that was a criticism yeah. that I've been hearing about it. But for me, it's pretty much on par with like some of the other Marvel movies as far as humor. But oh, good. Good. I like yeah. the direction they took Thor and his story. And visually, it's awesome. I mean, the opening sequence is one of the best opening sequences in a Marvel movie, in my opinion. Really? It's the action that happens in it oh. and the environment that Thor is in. It just looks really, really cool. It has a very fantasy uh, aspect to it, which I thought looked really, really neat. Oh, good. Yeah. But, so um, once it. Yeah, no, I was go just going to say, once it hits digitally, definitely check it out. Yeah, I will. Um, Zachary Levi, I often get confused with uh, Brandon Ralph. <laughs> you know what? They, I could see that. Yeah, they yeah. kind of look the same. Um, what also isn't helping with this uh, Shazam casting is the fact that um, they have a picture of Zachary Levi who looks like kind of like a comedian, the look, right? And then they put it up against the picture of the Alex Ross Shazam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that... Um, kind of throws you off it's like that's a bad choice but i if if you look at it in the context of the justice league or whatever the this dc universe the only old man is batman is bruce wayne everybody else is sort of younger you know in their late early mid uh, to late 20s you know so mm-hmm. 
Well, technically Wonder Woman has them all beat, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. But she doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah. Um, she still looks the best out of all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I guess I can kind of see it. You know, they're going for that sort of um, Flash kind of look. You, you know how, like, they cast um, the Flash younger? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess they're going for that kind of look. So, yeah, kind of like the happy-go-lucky guy feel, which I think would be perfect for Shazam because that's what he is. Yeah, plus two. I mean, the, the that Shazam Alex Ross thing was from uh, Kingdom Come, and they're all supposed to be like in their eighties or whatever. So, yeah, and Shazam was pretty much just used as a weapon in that story. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, it it I, I guess it could work. Uh, Zachary Levi could work. Yeah, then also I think just. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, they were saying that Mark Strong is in talks uh, to play the villain of for Shazam. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, he'd be good." But at the same time, I was still holding out hope that he, if they were going to bring him back for the Green Lantern Corps movie as Sinestro, because we all know that Mark Strong was just probably the best part of the Green Lantern movie, just perfect casting for Sinestro. So, like, uh, we screw continuity and the questions it might raise just brings Mark Strong back and so that show because he was perfect but yeah, I don't know if that's going to be possible now because he's in talks to play the villain uh, Dr. Savannah who's kind of one of the main antagonists of Shazam so it, he looks like he could fit that role good but he's always going to be the perfect Sinestro that guy Mark Strong is in a lot of movies but you don't really notice him mm-hmm. that's true yeah he, he's just like <laughs> he, he's just like that guy he, he he's just like Uncle Owen from um, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> that guy uh, is in so many movies that you don't yeah, even that's know true. he's in. <laughs> so yeah, and he's usually always good in the roles that he is yeah. in for Mark Strong. Yeah, I didn't know he was British. Uh, yeah, Strong. I knew that going in. <laughs> going into Green Lantern, hearing him cast as Green Lantern was my first yeah. exposure to hearing the name of Mark Strong. But then I saw all the movies before that one came out. Oh, I see. Was him in it like? Kingsman, and he was in the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie, I believe, too. <laughs> you saw that? Yeah, not my favorite interpretation of Robin Hood. <laughs> I will say that. Is it just is it just uh, flat out bad? Is it just like the, the It's just like bad? it was almost kind of like Robin Hood begins, but they didn't get to Robin Hood until like the very end. Like they did a sequel, it would be the more traditional Robin Hood story, but yeah. Yeah, this one I just didn't get into the story. Kind of felt that it, it dragged a little bit. Does does uh, Russell Crowe keep his Australian accent, or does he do a British accent? See, I don't even remember. It's been yeah. ten years, probably since like that movie came out. It was yeah. like two thousand. Well, maybe not quite ten, but almost there. I think it was like two thousand nine or something like that. Yeah, but. And I've only seen it once, so I don't remember <laughs> how yeah. good his accent was in that movie. <laughs> Well, that's one more than me, Tim, because, yeah, I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not going <laughs> to see that movie. Yeah, the, the only Robin Hood movies you need are the Errol Flynn one, the Kevin Costner one, and Robin Hood. Kevin Costner uh, did one? <laughs> oh, you did, yeah, maybe you're too young for that one. Yeah, back in 1990. Yeah. That was a big deal when that really? movie came out. Yeah. And it was a serious Robin Hood mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So you're talking about Russell Crowe's accent. Kevin yeah. Costner didn't even try. <laughs> oh, no, really? He just played it his regular American. Pretty accent. much, yeah. 
<laughs> so, so you see, now you got me curious. Uh, Kevin Costner is Robin Hood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it takes place in England. Yep. And he still has his American accent, right? Is uh-huh. it, it, <laughs> it, it? Is the movie good? Yeah, I liked it. I watched it maybe about again like a year or two ago. It still holds up for me. It's it's a, it's a good take. It doesn't. It's different where you know he's not in the classic Robin Hood outfit with yeah. you know the bright greens and the hat and all that. It's more of a serious take, I guess you could say. And oh, they were like super serious about it. I want to say super serious. I mean, no. there are some fun and funny elements in it as well, yeah. but. You also get a great performance uh, by Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham. Really? <laughs> yeah, he does a great job in that. <laughs> Morgan Freeman's in it as also. Really? Does mm-hmm. he do a British accent? Uh, better than Kevin Costner's. <laughs> really? He does one. Well, he's the, he's not from there, obviously. No. They beat each other in a dungeon when they were in the Crusades, fighting in the Crusades, yeah. and he helps them escape. So, but. He sounds like he has a better British accent than Kevin Costner, <laughs> even though he probably doesn't. <laughs> just because Kevin Costner has none. <laughs> so it's just the story of Robin Hood then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I guess. Yeah, if you ever want to check out a Robin Hood movie, if you've never seen this one, I would recommend it. Okay. Um, I guess I have to watch it now because it's, it's, it's bizarre that... I, I think of Robin Hood, I don't think of Kevin Costner, you know? Yeah, like I said, it came out in 1990 when I was, like, six years old, so yeah, it was like, yeah, real house of being, you yeah. know, fan yeah. of adventure and movies and all that stuff, and knowing Robin Hood from, like, those, the Errol Flynn movie that my dad would show me as a kid, so. Yeah, and plus two, I mean, Kevin Costner was huge back in the exactly, late yeah. 80s, they had that, early 90s. Then you have that uh, Brian Adams song, the "Everything I Do for You." <laughs> that, was a that, was a, it, mm-hmm, that was a theme song for it. He wrote that song for that movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. As a song for Robin Hood and Maid Marian. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they play it wow. at the credits once uh, <laughs> the movie is over. Yeah, no, if you remember you, the music video, it's totally Robin Hood themed. You would think that they would get. Uh, time period appropriate music, you know? Like <laughs> well, kind of throughout the course thing. of the movie, the score is like that. It's just at the end credits when the theme song kicks in, yeah. which was for most movies during the 90s. You always had to have that <laughs> radio hit song to close it out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I mean, Titanic did that, right? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it got bigger. It didn't get bigger than that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So. That's your homework, Dan. Watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I know, because I just can't imagine Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. I mean, I know he yeah. was like the biggest movie star back in those days. Because mm-hmm. that, that must have been after uh, Dances with Wolves, right? It might have been his next movie after Dances with Wolves, if I'm not mistaken. Really? They, were, they were pretty close, yeah. So, Dances with Wolves comes out. It's the biggest movie of the year. It wins Best Picture you know, it's the it's the Kevin Costner vehicle where he's like, you know, writer, producer, actor, and he decides to do Robin Hood. I mean, why not? I mean, it's a classic character everyone knows and loves. You get the biggest Hollywood actor at that time. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. I mean, you put yeah, those two together, you get a pretty big movie. Yeah, just do whatever, and then they gave him Waterworld, and 
They don't give him. <laughs> it all went down after the water world. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the gills behind the ears, and then people were like, uh, "Yeah, let's let's just have Kevin Costner star in stuff." After that, then it was what the Postman. After that, or, or? oh yeah, the the Whitney Houston one, right? Oh, that was the Bodyguard. Oh yeah, the body. So the Bodyguard was after Dances with Wolves. Yeah, after Dance with Wolves and Robin Hood. I think before Waterworld. Yeah, before Waterworld. So, so that was because yeah. that was a big hit also. So his yeah, trend yeah. was still going up in those early 90s. Once Waterworld hit, that's where it started becoming <laughs> trouble for Kevin Costner. <laughs> Waterworld. Never seen that. And I don't think I am ever going to see that. You've never seen it? Nope. Oh, it's pretty good when you're a kid. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, they got jet skis. And it's like Mad Max, Mad Max jet, jet skis, and Kevin Costner has like webbed feet. And <laughs> like wow, See, I didn't even know that. Like the gills and the webbed feet. I just thought he was just a normal human. It, it's real. It's a super, super great movie if you're a kid watching it because it's like, oh, they got these cool sets. Um, there's like the the outfits are cool, and Dennis Hopper's cool. And Kevin Costner, you know, has his own, like, catamaran. <laughs> yeah. it, I, I used to love that movie when I was when I was a kid. Um, Waterworld. I don't know why. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a bad movie, but... Yeah, it's, it's remembered for being a pretty big bomb, too. <laughs> With oh, really? the budget that it had, yeah. They, they spent a lot and it didn't make it back. No, it didn't. Oh, well, that's, that sucks. <laughs> yeah water world sank at the box office <laughs> i'm sure that was a headline for a lot of reports oh, yeah. on the box office flop of that <laughs> so let me get i don't know why we're talking about kevin costner <laughs> and his filmography but was field of dreams was that beef i mean uh sorry after dances with wolves um, that I'm not sure. That might have been pretty close because Field of Dreams came out in, I think, 89. Uh, yeah. Let me see when Dances with Wolves came out. Yeah. Because they might have just been a year apart from each other. That was another one I loved, too, Dances with Wolves. I don't know why. Yeah. Dances with Wolves came out in 1990, so yeah. Okay, so it was but, right after. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had a good streak for a few Field years. Of Dreams. Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, yeah. Bodyguard. What did that Robin Hood movie get on Rotten Tomatoes? Let's, Let's find out. Yeah. Because see, I don't remember if Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, did well critically or not. I think financially it did, but um, I re- I remember it fondly, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, how well it was received by critics at the time. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. Look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see. Uh... I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere like the 70s or 80s. No, it's a it got a 50. 50? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from 52 reviews. So, yeah, I, I guess it wasn't reviewed. It, it, it got two uh, Golden Raspberry Awards, whatever that is. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing it right now. We have 50. Wow, I didn't think it was that split. Yeah. So, uh, Christian Slater, who was also in the movie, I guess, um, 
yeah, was, he was. was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even have that big of a role in it. <laughs> really? Yeah, he played Will Scarlet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, a, a, toy li- a, a toy line was released by Kenner. All it was of, is recycled Star Wars toys. Yeah, yeah, Re- Return of the <laughs> Jedi toys. So, so, so how did they do that? I mean, what, what, what was it? The Sherwood Forest was pretty much the Ewok Village playset. And I had the really? Ewok Village playset as a kid. And when I saw the commercials for Robin, I was like, hey, that's just the Ewok Village set I already have. How do you reuse and, the vehicles, though? It says vehicles and playset. Yeah, I, all I remember was the Ewok Village, and then just yeah. recently someone tweeted out an image of Friar, the Friar Tuck figure. Yeah. What they did was put a normal person's head and body over the Grimorian Guard action figure <laughs> for Return <laughs> of the Jedi. <laughs> I was like, oh it's, man, I didn't know they went that far. But it's <laughs> they like did. they didn't care. <laughs> and, Tim, you'd be surprised uh, to know... There was a video game of the same name on that, uh, the original N- Nintendo. I did game play board. a little bit of that, actually. And? I don't remember if it was good or not, to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> my cousin had it, and I just played uh, like for a little bit at her house, and I didn't remember what type of game it was. I think it was a side-scroller. Really? Yeah. I, like I said, I did play it very long, so it must have not have been that great. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Ugh. I mean, but but you got you don't see them nowadays. I think the last big one I seen was the the Mad Max uh, video game tie-in. Uh, yeah, but I they remember, don't do that anymore. Yeah, at all. they don't really do that anymore. Which is pretty much a good thing because none of those games are really that great. <laughs> yeah, and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like I'm I'm looking at uh, uh, Kevin Costner's uh, filmography, so it's pretty much from like '87 is when he started getting good because he was in The Untouchables then he was in No Way Out and Bill Durham Mm -hmm. and then Field of Dreams and then uh, yeah, Dances with Wolves so yeah, it works out pretty well yeah Yeah, so I guess Robin Hood wasn't well received as I remembered it being but it's kind of like the movie Hook I know that got panned critically but I really like that movie and kids from my generation who grew up with it like yeah we, like, we all look fondly yeah. at that movie so i think it's kind of the same maybe with robin hood yeah i mean it has to be because it, it has to be the one of those kind of movies where like a cult film where it's just like a you know it did nobody saw it i mean yeah nobody really saw it got bad reviews but now everybody loves it see now you definitely got to see it dane am i just looking at it through like nostalgic classes or <laughs> if you actually think it's a good movie so you know which movie i really want to see now or watch is um field of dreams <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen that movie in a long time now robin hood first <laughs> <laughs> you gotta set your priorities for kevin costner movies <laughs> i want to watch dances with wolves i don't know why i i've never seen that movie actually i know my parents loved it at the time but it's actually a really good movie uh but I remember seeing it at the VHS store for like a hundred bucks. Really? <laughs> yeah, like the time where VHS it still cost a lot. Dollars. I think it was a two a two video set because it's a long movie. Yeah. So I think that probably jacked the price up a little bit for it too. Yeah, and I I remember um, because in the beginning, 
uh, Kevin Costner's character ends up uh, getting hurt in the Civil War. So they're kind of like, it's it begins in the Civil War era, right? Okay. And then it flashes to uh, this the Dances of Wolves. Dances with Wolves era, I guess you could say. And I remember, I I couldn't figure I I couldn't figure out why, um, he wasn't fighting the Native Americans in the beginning for some reason. Because it it's it's, I guess that's because I saw it when I was a kid and I remember being like, like oh so like this is like a war movie they're like they're fighting the French. <laughs> <laughs> and then it flashes forward and then um. Uh, Kevin Costner's with the with uh, the Native Americans, and I was like, "Oh, oh, so so this is a Native American movie." Yeah, I know it has to do with that. With yeah, Kevin Costner going to like a Native American tribe and kind of living among them, but and he befriends a wolf. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not too <laughs> he familiar. With, a wolf. At least that's what I remember. <laughs> very little yeah, descriptions yeah. from my parents <laughs> when they saw it. Yeah, that's why they call them Dances with Wolves. Yeah. I remember the the wolf's name is Two Socks. If I yeah, remember, yeah. Remember right? So, but but what kind of doesn't make sense as an adult now is is why was there a white woman living with with uh, the Native Americans? Like, See, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, it's like so the one white guy that you know kind of falls in with the native americans finds the one white woman living with the native americans <laughs> what are the odds <laughs> yeah what are the odds and she speaks uh i i can't remember what uh native american language they speak but <laughs> she she um she happens to speak both english and that language <laughs> <laughs> the perfect scenario for kevin costner you know? <laughs> Someone to talk with and someone to translate for him as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, we got way off track. I, know, I don't remember. Sure. We got talking Robin Hood and Kevin Costner. I don't remember yeah. how we got out to Robin Hood, but. <laughs> uh, like, uh, Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. That's why. <laughs> but how did we get on Russell Crowe? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah who, cares? who cares? I know. Yeah. We'll probably go down another rabbit hole if that happens. <laughs> But anyway, to kind of wrap up some of the new stuff that happened, uh, Justice League, we know that, as we've said, it's coming out in just two weeks. And they released a little bit from Danny Elfman's score, the first track from it. And listening to it, I was pretty anxious to hear how it's going to sound. And because I was excited about Danny Elfman coming back. And I want, really want a Justice League, you know, epic theme that fits the team. Kind of, know, in vain to his Batman theme, which I'll talk about a little bit later, too. <laughs> the Superman theme. Just class. I want an iconic superhero theme for the Justice League. So he put out a track uh, for about, uh, I forget, I'm trying to think of the actual name for the track is going to be. But it's called Hero's Theme, right? Hero's Theme. Yeah. yeah. So that's what made me think that. Uh, well, I had audio playing back there for a second as I clicked the <laughs> YouTube link. But uh, yeah, the hero theme would make me think, OK, that's going to be the theme for the justice league and when i heard it it was good it felt like elfman but at the same time it didn't have that iconic or memorable feel that i was hoping for that you know that just sticks with you right when you hear it maybe at the course of the movie and i hear it a few times it'll kind of sink in and start feeling like a theme for the justice league but it just didn't have that you know gravitas that i was hoping for it didn't grab me right away like okay this you know really fits the justice league but it was nothing bad it, it felt it felt like danny elfman but i was just hoping for a little bit more 
So maybe we'll get other themes throughout the course of the movie that'll, you know, have that feeling that I'm looking for. But as far as this one, didn't quite capture what I was, you know, kind of hoping it would. But I don't yeah. know what you think of it, Dane. Yeah, me neither. Um, it sounds like I, I, I told you before uh, we started recording, it, it sounds like it's from a Marvel movie. Uh, it's sort of like that serious, big, epic sound. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be fun, too. You know, this is fun um, sort of feel. And it kind of sounds, in this day and age, when we have like 25 superhero movies coming out every year, it mm. kind of sounds generic, you know, yeah. mm. in that sense. But um, like you said, I want to hear his Batman theme and I want to hear, you know, the other songs from the soundtrack, I guess. Well, did you see that video that's gone around this past week about him talking about the Batman theme? Does he, he say? Does he say it's going to be like his eighty nine score? I think it is going to be the eighty nine score because oh, no. in the video he goes, you know, there's only one Batman theme and it's going to be in the movie. Yeah, and, but it's a different thing, you know. <laughs> I know, but at the same time, it's like even when Danny Elfman was first announced, I was hoping there'd be a little bit of the Batman eighty nine theme in there. So I don't know if it's going to be full blown, you know main batman 89 theme in there but it's going to be a little homage to it but the way he's talking in that video kind of makes me think it's going to be the full theme which is going to be interesting and i get what you're saying it's a new thing it should have its own theme or the theme they created for batman versus superman for batman but the the fanboy in me just can't help but be excited (laughs) to hear that again in the new movie with batman in the justice league so We'll see how it all plays out, but right now I gotta say I'm pretty excited to hear it again. <laughs> yeah, but still, yeah, I mean, it'll be better than the Batman vs Superman one, which was just like a soundscape of yeah, a warehouse. Wasn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it sounded like 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 the it 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 kind of just sounded like an ambient track. There was really no nothing to it, so. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just curious to see where it'll be used, but I think it's going to be, get a big cheer from the audience if it, you know, really fully plays the theme that we all remember. It might get a pretty big reaction. So I don't we'll think see. that's it's going to work. And yeah, not, it might not. Batman. Yeah, it might not. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But right now, I'm excited to hear it again. We'll just have to see how it all fits and plays out in the course of the movie. Yeah. So, and lastly, the one thing I'll mention. Anyone who hasn't seen this yet, go check out a just, the Justice League action short with Mark Hamill. It is fantastic. I don't want to say too much, but all you got to know is it's the Joker and the trickster kidnapping Mark Hamill. And of course, they're both being voiced Mark Hamill. It's really funny. Mark Hamill voices himself. He voices the Joker, the trickster. And it's just really, really, really funny. Some of the jokes they talk about Mark Hamill being an actor, voice actor and all that. It's definitely it's only about two minutes because Justice League action episodes are only about 10 minutes on TV. But this one is just an exclusive for the web. So it's only about two minutes. But definitely check it out. I tweeted it out or I tweeted out a a link to the YouTube video of it saying it's the best thing that Justice League action has ever done. And we even got a like by Mark Hamill on that tweet. So (laughs) definitely check it out. It's hilarious. It's just a great idea. You know, it's a kind of break a fourth wall type thing where you got Mark Hamill being captured by <laughs> the characters he voices. So it's really a lot of fun. You see, um, I mean, 
like like people say like oh Mark Hamill, the Joker, Mark Hamill, uh, of course Luke Skywalker, uh, Mark Hamill this and that, but you know what people don't say, Mark Hamill was in Wing Commander. <laughs> but, but the, the video games, yeah. Yeah. Did, did you see he's doing? I mean, I, I had no idea that they were doing this, but um, I guess the people that made that Wing Commander, right? They crowdfunded. It's like the 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 most money a crowdfunded game video game has ever made. Um, but they're making another one, and Mark Hamill is going to be in that game. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. But I think he might have been the one who told me about it. But it's something that like surprised me that they still want to have that going. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's cool if Mark Hamill uh, still want to yeah, do it. I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean it's it's like people know him as Luke Skywalker. People know him as Joker now. Not many people know that he was in that Wing Commander game. That, no, that full yeah. motion video. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be you know better quality than those old Wing Commander games when those yeah. full motion video cutscenes were. <laughs> <laughs> and have you seen that movie, the the Wing Commander movie? No, I hear it's awful though. Yeah, yeah. I I'm just hoping for a reboot. <laughs> yeah. Well, here you go. <laughs> this game can serve as a reboot. <laughs> I'm sure it will be better because it has Mark Hamill in it, so. <laughs> automatically it'll be better than that movie yeah. but with that that's it for our news and discussion topics and our talk about kevin costner and his movies <laughs> in the late 80s and mid 90s but uh, <laughs> uh we could go ahead and get to jordan's email so jordan says hey tim and dane and alex good to have you back dane i love the final justice league trailer i've been going back and forth between whether or not i like it better than the previous one or not but as of this writing i'm leaning towards the new one as my favorite it had me hooked right from the start with the dream sequence of the Kent farm. The Man of Steel score is my favorite film score of all time, and hearing the Man of Steel theme to start the trailer was magical. I thought it was pretty brilliant the way they incorporated Superman into this trailer without actually revealing anything about his return. There were a lot of great action beats in that trailer. The ones that stood out to me most were Wonder Woman battling Steppenwolf and Cyborg catching Aquaman as he's falling. The latter is yet another example of what's going to make this film so special, seeing those team-up moments of the different heroes working together for the first time in live action. The trailer ended with a hilarious scene between Barry, Bruce, and Diana. I'm digging everything we've seen of Barry and Bruce's dynamics so far. They have such a contrasting personalities, and I think it's going to be a blast seeing them interact with each other. As of my writing this email, we've only got 16 days left to wait for the film. I've got my ticket for a Thursday night preview screening. Also, the past few days, AT&T stores have been giving away Justice League posters and doing some other promotional stuff. I was the first one there on the first day of this event at my local AT&T store. So wait, they gave wait, me all wait, five wait, posters. Wait, Tim, Tim. Uh, did, did Alex go? I mean, not Alex, sorry. Did, <laughs> did Jordan go to the AT&T store for something else or did he go there specifically for the posters? He doesn't say, but I'm guessing uh, Jordan just went there just for the Justice League posters, yeah. which I probably would have done myself, too. <laughs> I didn't know they were actually having that, but yeah. it's cool that you scored five of them yeah, <laughs> on the you, first day. Do you have to be an AT&T customer? To, uh... That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, did you have to like switch over and switch plans in order to get those posters? Like That's how they get you? <laughs> you have to start a line. <laughs> start a new line. Yeah. <laughs> 
But he says they also had an exclusive Justice League Snapchat filter you could access and some cool Justice League art on the wall. It was a pretty fun way to get even more pumped for the movie's release. I remember, was it AT&T? Uh, but during the Revenge of the Sith, uh, where I was working at the time, it was like we shared a building with a... If it wasn't AT&T, I forget the company, but it was another cell phone uh, company. But they had they were marketing a Revenge of the Sith like posters and stuff all over there. So every time I went into work, I saw those. I'm just like, so close to the movie. We're so close to the movie. So you, you, I imagine it's the same for this uh, Justice League and AT&T. You were working at the Sprint store? No, it was just, we're this, we shared a building. It was an office oh. building. So oh, every time oh, I go I into see. the building, yeah. you'd see, I see all those Revenge of the Sith posters. Oh, so 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 you're working at the GameStop then? No, just it was just an office job. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jordan continues saying another trailer that we just got is for Scooby Doo and Batman: The Brave and the Bold. The trailer looked pretty good to me. This is a cool way to celebrate the Brave and the Bold's tenth anniversary next year. I really like the Scooby Doo meets Batman episodes of the new Scooby Doo movies growing up. So this movie has that nostalgia going for it for me as well. A lot of Batman characters are going to be in it. And besides Batman, the one that excites me the most is, of course, Catwoman. Also, Harvey Bullock will be making his debut in the Brave and the Bold universe with this film, which would be fun to see. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that with this movie and I thought, oh, cool. Batman Brave and the Bold's coming back, but wasn't expecting it to be with a Scooby-Doo team up. So uh, never much of a Scooby-Doo guy, but I know it has its fans. And they sent they even did it in an episode of Batman Brave and the Bold. There are two version like this version of batman and the scooby-doo franchises match up really well together so it's not too much of a surprise that this is what they're going to do but it's just cool that batman brave of the bull is coming back and i didn't even realize this until i read your email jordan that it's its 10th year 10 year anniversary of that show which is hard to believe it's still feels like it's the last batman show even though it's not because we had beware of the batman and now we got justice league action and all that stuff but it, I guess it feels like the truly last great Batman the anim, Batman animated series because Beware the Batman you know didn't really do that great, and Justice League Action while great you know it's not a full length animated series like I said they're all just ten minutes long and it's with the Justice League not just Batman so I still hold Brave and the Bold in that you know the last great Batman animated series that we've got so definitely glad they're bringing it back and hopefully there'll be more to come with just Batman Brave and the Bold and not a team up with Scooby Doo but it's really cool that they're doing this. The Dark Knight is almost 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, it's the same year. Man, that's going to be crazy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that that's going to be 10 years old and just everything, how big and momentous that was, yeah, it's hard to believe because it kind of still feel the effects of it 10 years later and just how you know monumental it was for Batman and the movie franchise and yeah, 2008 was a good year for comic book movies because we had The Dark Knight and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe launched with Iron Man that same year. So 2008 oh, was, was here to remember. Year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. just two months apart. Oh, yeah, I don't know why I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. How old is uh, Spider-Man 3? Well, that's 10 years old now. It came out really? in May tw- 2007. 2007. Yeah. Wow, it's been 10 years since that movie. Mm-hmm. Since, I don't uh, think it aged very well, <laughs> as we talked about last time. <laughs> well, well, it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but didn't they try to do the Art Deco style for some reason in that in that one movie? No, uh, not really. I mean, there was that awful nightclub dance sequence that Peter Parker no. had, but <laughs> I wouldn't fully call it Art Deco. But it was 
bad on other levels, but not yeah. because of the visual style. I remember that for some reason. I don't know why. Wasn't he trying to impress Mary Jane with uh, Yeah, Gwen he was on a date with Gwen Stacy, but then yeah. he saw Mary Jane work there, so he thought it impress her by playing the piano, dancing on the <laughs> bar table. And, uh, <laughs> that, that whole concept doesn't make sense to begin with. No, so, so you're going to go to your ex-girlfriend's job with your new girlfriend to impress her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sound good. <laughs> well, the evil things the symbiote made him do in that movie. No wonder yeah. he had to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah going to your <laughs> ex-girlfriend's job to impress her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie. Yeah, still haven't forgiven it for being my most biggest disappointment with a comic book movie. <laughs> that one. <laughs> And correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Mary Jane an actress? Yeah, she was trying to be an actress. A but Broadway actress? Yeah. Uh, she had a show but on Broadway. She got fired. Right? She got fired because she couldn't act. Yeah, but she yeah, but she she was she was on a Broadway play. Isn't that like super hard to get? I would think so, yeah. Uh, to get like a starring role on a Broadway play. But I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't need to go into Spider-Man 3 again. Too many bad memories. <laughs> well, at least Venom was in there, right? Uh, for, for what? Two or three shots where he actually had his you know, face covered by the symbiote and he looked like Venom and not Topher Graves? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that movie was actually bad for Venom. Because I remember everybody was into Venom. Um, because he looks oh, yeah, so I, cool. I mean, yeah, I grew up loving Venom as a character. We're going to see the first time in a movie. That's why I was so excited about that. Yeah. The symbiote storyline is my favorite Spider-Man story. And God, they botched it. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't get is like Venom is like ninety-five percent what he looks like, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then they they had Topher Grace for ninety-five for percent of that movie. <laughs> Yeah, it was so shoehorned in. Just, you could just really tell. It's like they just threw them in there because they knew that's what fans wanted to see. But yeah, they didn't care about making it right. <laughs> <laughs> and Sandman for some reason. Yeah, because it it's one of those things where the director wanted Sandman to be the villain, and but the producers she made him put Venom in there, and he wasn't that invested yeah. in it. That's why it came out the way it did. <laughs> and but anyway. Wait, one more question about Spider-Man 3. Uh, you have to, Dan. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> Am I re- remembering this correctly, Tim? Was Green Goblin in that movie? Harry Osborn, his son, was the new Goblin at the very beginning. Yeah. He fights Peter Parker and then he gets amnesia once he gets knocked off his glider. Oh, you're right. Then he comes at the end to help out against Venom and Sandman and he dies and... Peter Parker cries. Yeah, he forgives Sandman and all that stuff. Why did they give him amnesia? I know, just to make... Yeah, it was stupid. (laughs) It's another needless plot thread in that movie that had way too many. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't it like something like um, uh, Peter Parker's job at the Daily Planet or whatever? Daily Bugle. Daily Bugle, whatever. Um, wasn't his job security in jeopardy because, um, Her- not Harry Osborne. Um, Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock showed up. Yeah, yeah, they're both competing for a staff job because they were freelance photographers. Yeah, right, right. And then so, like, 
Spider uh, Peter Parker as Spider Man somehow like beats up Eddie Brock or something? No, he just you know uh, you're making me remember this movie or something. <laughs> Eddie Brock creates a fake photograph of Spider Man robbing a oh bank to make him look bad, but then Peter Parker finds out, you know, realizes you know it's like a fake job. He exposes Eddie Brock, and then the Daily yeah. Bugle has to issue a retraction, so he gets fired. And then Eddie Brock hates Peter Parker for that, even though he caused it on himself. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad, too. Yeah, are you done making me relive that? Yes, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, hope, I'm hoping the Tom Hardy Venom movie redeems the character, <laughs> even, though, even though it needs to. I'll be curious to see how they make it work without Spider-Man being involved. But I think Tom Hardy, at the very least, will be given yeah. a much, much better faithful portrayal of Venom and Eddie Brock than Topher Grace did. So, <laughs> Well, at least he looks like Eddie Brock. Exactly. Know, in the sense yeah. that, you know, he looks muscular. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully that'll redeem the character. Yeah. But anyway. And I have I to say. I think I said you were done. I'm not talking <laughs> about Spider-Man 3. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the new Spider-Man movie. Okay. I have seen it again. I've rented it. Mm-hmm. My new review is that it's a good movie. Ah, glad to hear it. Yes. Yeah. I like, what made you uh, turn it around this time? I don't know. Um, I, th- I think it was... I think it was the fact that it, it, it didn't take itself super seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, it takes itself seriously as it's... It had high stakes, but... You know, yeah, it had high stakes. Um, but grounded, too, at the same time. Grounded. It's a superhero movie, but it doesn't take itself seriously. It has jokes in it. Um, you know, the Peter's friend, I can't remember his name. Uh, mm-hmm. It's comic relief, but good comic relief. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's a great movie, so... Yeah, it's a great movie. Oh, glad to hear you came around on it. Yeah, I really liked it too. I gotta watch. I got the Blu-ray for. I just need to watch it again. And I've only seen thing, it once at the theater. Another thing I can super super appreciate it for. It didn't. It wasn't based around a love interest. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you only, had one, but it wasn't the focus of it. Yeah, it wasn't the focus of it, and it ends up playing into the story really nicely. Yeah, it had a great payoff. Yeah. Well, yeah spoiler yeah. alert for those who haven't seen it yet, but her dad being Michael Keaton's vulture, I thought was a great twist to it. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it wasn't hinged on the love interest just like, uh, Batman begins was. So, or even actually all five of the previous Spider-Man movies were all hinged. Oh that. yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, it's 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 a great movie. I'm glad to hear you came around on it because yeah, I really liked it too. So. Yeah. But anyway, back to Jordan's email. Yeah. No more bad memories of Spider-Man three. So <laughs> Jordan says, "I'm very excited about Batman the Animated Series coming to Blu-ray." Well, I've gone digital, so I guess what I'm really or actually excited about is being able to buy the HD remasters of the episodes online. I figured this news was probably not too far following the Blu-ray release slash HD remasters of Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. I didn't expect it to come this quickly after that, given that the new Batman adventures are packaged as part of Batman, the animated series for the DVDs. I'm assuming that those episodes will be included as part of this as well. They better be anyway. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that, Jordan. They have to be included with that because they did it before and they're technically all part of the same series. So 
I, I would bet that that would be the case. And he continues saying, I agree with you, Tim. The Dark Knight's Metal 3 is the best of the series so far. Well, at least of the main series. I haven't been picking up most of the tie-ins either. Spoilers. I liked the first two issues, but I wasn't over the moon about them. The issue felt like an improvement to me, though. There were a bunch of cameos from the lots of DC characters, including some more obscure ones, that I appreciated. And the way it ended on such a shocking and dire cliffhanger was very exciting. That final scene pretty much made the issue for me, and I can't wait to see how Batman and Superman get out of this mess. Tim, I was actually, or I, I was really glad to hear you enjoyed the uh, finale of The War of Jokes and Riddles as much as I did, despite not being a big fan of the rest of the arc as I was. Moving on to Batman number 33. I loved it. Spoilers. It's Batman and Catwoman's first adventure together as an engaged couple. And to quote the Joker, it didn't disappoint. And I mean the first scene literally ends with Batman and Catwoman riding off into the sunset with the dialogue, I love you, Cat. I love you too, Bat. As a Bat-Cat shipper, it really doesn't get any better than that. Meanwhile, back at Stately Wayne Manor, there's some great stuff between the Robins and Alfred. The scene where Jason is trying vigorously to get his jacket back from Ace and Alfred Eversley gets Ace to give it up cracked me up. Tom King hasn't incorporated the Robins into his run very much, but when he has, he's done a great job with them. The issue ended with a pretty surprising reveal that Talia is who Bruce and Selina were heading to find. I'm fine with that, given that it's Selina who Bruce is proposed to and not Talia after all, lol. I'm not really sure where King is going with this, but I trust King more than any other writer, to be honest. So I'm confident he has something great up his sleeve once again. Any update with uh, Teen Titans? Uh, sorry, Jordan. I kind of feel bad for saying this in the last few emails. I haven't had a chance to continue watching it. We're at a time now where there's like, tons of other, like the TV shows are back with new seasons, catching up on books and everything and gaming and other stuff. And Teen Titans kind of fell back. Back to stuff I need to catch up on, but I will eventually. I'm not going to give up on it, but it just might take a lot longer than I planned. So I feel like I'm letting you down, Jordan. I'm sorry, but I'll get to it eventually. Um, I did notice, or I continue saying, I did indeed watch Daredevil and The Defenders, and I think Dane mentioned that he uh, noticed the first season of Daredevil is my favorite thing I've seen from the MCU, to be honest. It took a few episodes for Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin to grow on me. But there was one scene pretty early in particular where I finally figured out what D'Onofrio was going for with his performance. And I loved him from there on out. They did an excellent job with Daredevil's origin in the flashbacks, really making you invested in this version of him. And I loved his supporting cast as well. I wasn't a big fan of the Punisher stuff in season two, but once Elektra got introduced, it really picked up for me. Again, they killed it with the flashbacks with her. And I thought uh, Elodie Young was unbelievable in the role. Also, there was a scene where Kingpin returned where Kingpin returned that reminded me so much of the Dark Knight interrogation scene between Batman and the Joker and just had my jaw on the floor. Great stuff. Yeah, cool. Glad to see you caught up on Daredevil. Really, really good, especially those first. Uh, well, there's only two seasons, but I really enjoyed both seasons. Season two is probably actually my favorite, even though I really, really like season one. And but I love the Punisher stuff. I think I said this before. I was never much a Punisher fan, but this version and take on the character made me really invested in him. So I'm looking forward to his series coming out next month, but glad you enjoyed the, these first two seasons of daredevils, but now curious to see what you thought of the defenders, Jordan, because hearing mixed things on it from other fans, I really liked it, but I know some others kind of thought it was a little slow to get through and wasn't really their thing. So let me know what you thought of the defenders. Did you see the Dane? Yeah. Well, the what, what is that? 
it's the team up between with all the Netflix Marvel shows. We got Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And it's it's not very good. No, I liked it, but no. it's getting mixed reviews. So some people don't like it, but I thought it was a nice culmination of all those shows kind of being brought together. Oh, I'm gonna. I, I guess I have to watch it now. Then you'll probably have to watch it before Daredevil season three. I will say that. Oh, really? It's connected. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially when it comes to Daredevil. So, yeah, I see. But Jordan finishes up his email with a couple of questions. He says, "Are there any rebirth stories so far that you'd want to see adapted into, or at least used in, as heavy inspiration for a film in the DC animated movie universe?" The universe is obviously very, very heavily inspired by the New Fifty Two, but now that the New Fifty Two has transitioned into rebirth in the comics, I'm wondering if they'll start pulling inspiration from the Rebirth comics. As you might expect, I'd love to see the entire Tom King Batman run so far adapted into animation, animated form. I think that they could do a movie or a series of movies basically telling the story of Gotham Girl based off of I Am Gotham, I Am Suicide, I Am Suicide, and I Am Bane. The only thing is, I think King plans to continue telling more stories with Gotham Girl, given the future she spoke of way back in Batman 5. So they possibly should wait and see how King eventually ends her story and then adapt it at that point. The two stories I think that they could adapt already are Rooftops and The War of Jokes and Riddles. The War of Jokes and Riddles is very self-contained, and so that's the King story that I think could be adapted most faithfully at this point. The film could start adding in Rooftops as basically a prologue, changing the story so it's more self-contained, but keeping the key elements and moments, as well as a proposal from Batman 24, then be mostly one long flashback like Wonder Woman and end with Selena's answer from Batman 32. I'd be all for that. Thinking about it, I think that could even work as a live-action movie. Besides stuff from King's Batman run, Island of Scars, The Green Arrow would be something I'd love to see adapted. I've been waiting for them to do a Green Arrow film in the DCUAOM line for so long. That would be a great choice for one, in my opinion. The only DCUAOM movie in the New 52-inspired shared universe that's currently announced is Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay. I haven't been reading Suicide Squad Reverse, so I don't have any ideas for what they might adapt from that, if that even is what they're planning to do. My ideas are just for any possible future films in that shared universe that come out following that. Yeah, that's a good question, Jordan. Reverse has been going on for over a year now with some great stories, so ones that I think would be make for a good animated movie. Um, I actually, I mean, despite me not liking all of the war of jokes and riddles, I think it could be adapted to a pretty awesome movie, like you said right here. They can draw out more of the stuff I thought was skimped over on in the comics and to make it for a more compelling telling of the war between Joker and Riddler. So I think that could actually work. And also on the Batman front, most recently, the first ally story from All-Star Batman by Scott Snyder, I think it'd be a really cool animated movie that really highlights and focuses on the father and son relationship that Batman and Alfred had that I think it'd be really cool to see. Then stuff with Superman. I would love to see an animated movie with this uh, new status quo for Superman with his son, John. The stuff in the Superman comics and action comics have been really, really good. They could take little inspirations from some of those story arcs and make them into one movie or even start off now with what they're doing with the Oz effect storyline with uh, Jarrell being revealed to be Mr. Oz and the conflict that's causing for Superman with his son. So Green Lantern or how to join the Green Lanterns has been really good, too. So. Those would be some of the titles I would love to see be animated movies from Rebirth. But how about you, Dane? Any of the Rebirth stories that you've read that you think could be good animated movies? Uh, no, not really. Um, 
there hasn't really been like a, a story that would warrant that, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not yet. <laughs> Just perfectly fine with comics right now, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> perfectly fine. Oh. I mean, who knows? Maybe even Doomsday Clock, well, depending how successful that is, yeah. could be, you know, a big animated movie they do in the future. So I'm sure they'll do one of these eventually. But his second question is, with the Batman 66 animated films and now the recently announced upcoming Scooby-Doo and Batman Brave and the Bold uh, receiving previous DC TV shows in an, or reviving previous DC TV shows in animated form, are there any other old DC TV shows that you'd like to see get the same treatment? My first choice would be Smallville, hands down. No surprise there. I'd love to see an animated movie set after the events of the Season 11 comics. The Season 11 comics gave us many adventures with Tom Willing's version of the character, finally actually in the role of Superman, and I'd love to see another adventure with that Man of Steel, this time in animation. A requirement for such an animated film, or at least for me, Kristen Crook reprising her role as Lana. We did see Lana one more time in the Season 11 comics, and it could work here too. Of course, another top choice for me would have to be the series that made me a diehard Batman or diehard Bat fan, The Batman. I'm not going to lie, I was a little bitter to hear that Batman, The Brave and the Bold, was getting a film adaption for its 10th anniversary, while The Batman did get, didn't get one for its 10th anniversary back in 2014. Yes, The Batman did already get a tie in animated movie back during its original one, whereas The Brave and the Bold didn't. But nonetheless, I'm greedy and want another one, lol. DC could rectify that bitterness for me by doing another The Batman animated film for its 15th and for its 15th anniversary in 2019. Well, for me, hands down, the series I want to see brought back is Batman Beyond. There's just so much more potential they can do with that. And I know they tried in the comics to variant success. The ones by Kyle Higgins I thought were awesome because it continued the continuity of the animated series. But some of the other ones and the one currently going on in Rebirth, they just don't capture that Batman Beyond feel that I love when it's not connected and tied into the animated series continuity. So I would love for Batman Beyond to be brought back with an animated movie. And I know Bruce Timm and company always gets asked that, even at that New York Comic-Con panel where they announced the animated series Blu-ray, that question got asked. And he just said, you know, we'd love to do it. It's not up to us. So just got to make your voices heard. So Batman Beyond would be the one I'd love to see brought back in an animated movie. But how about you, Dane? Any DC series that's no longer on the air that you'd like to see brought back in some way? I would say the animated series, but I don't know. That that could go wrong. Um, and it's still kind of like it's the continuity hasn't shown up too much, but you still get elements of it still continuing on, like with yeah. uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and Justice League action and little other stuff like that. So its I'll legacy watch. is still going on. How about something that they should stay away from? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the that sort of anime style that they've been doing mm. recently, the like Batman Gotham Knight animated yeah, movie, yeah, or the like uh, Red Hood one. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't call that anime, really. Yeah, well, they have like the anime sort of face. So, uh, but that know. was a great movie, though. Yeah, that it was, was a good really. movie, but yeah, just stay away from that anime stuff. <laughs> you know what? Now that it hasn't gotten a lot of press, and I kind of forgot about it, but there, there's a new anime project coming out called Batman Ninja, I believe. Really? Yeah, it's. I remember reading it not too long ago, and I kind of forgot about it, because like I said, it hasn't got a lot of traction, but yeah. it's from an anime studio that's doing it, that's worked on some other anime series. So 
um, I don't think you're going to get your wish day. <laughs> it's still going to continue. So, <laughs> yeah, the more we hear about that, or once we get a trailer, we're going to see how it's going to turn out because I totally forgot about that until you said anime and yeah. realized, oh, wait, it is still going to continue in some form. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. But that's it for Jordan's email. As always, Jordan, thank you for sending in your thoughts and questions. And also, I got—I should say, too, I'm going to be a guest on Jordan's uh, our new podcast, uh, Multiverse Musings. I'm going to, as we're recording this episode, I'm going to be on his next show tomorrow. What? So we're going to be... Where's my invite, uh, uh, Jordan? Well, here's the thing, Dane. We're going to be talking about the Suicide Squad movie. So I can be on it. I think Jordan knows you're not the biggest fan of it. I can lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you could be the two face. Hate it on our show, love it on Jordan's show. <laughs> you know what? We're not going to read Jordan's emails anymore <laughs> until I get an invite onto his show. Uh, you hear that, Jordan? You've been put on notice by Dane. <laughs> Better start planning. But yeah, but it should be a lot of fun being on uh, Jordan's show. So look forward to that. Yeah, I I have listened to Jordan's episodes, and I gotta say, I I guess the more that I've listened to his podcasts and seen some of his YouTube videos, <laughs> him and me have a similar laugh. <laughs> when I heard it, I was like, what? That kind of sounds really? like my laugh. But I'm sorry to say, Jordan, I know I don't have a great laugh, so I apologize that we kind of have a similar laugh. But, hey, I guess it could be, you know, more like a high-pitched, squeal, annoying laugh <laughs> that I could get under your skin. But at least it's not that. But I just noticed that ours is kind of similar. Oh, I see. So you'll be getting, you know, double, like, vocal tones, I guess, when you hear me on his podcast <laughs> talking about Suicide Squad. Hopefully it won't get too confusing for listeners. <laughs> But that's going to do it for our listener feedback, and we can go ahead and get into our comic book reviews. And as always, we're going to go into spoilers on our reviews here. So if you haven't read your books, you might want to hold off, uh, read them, then come back and hear what we have to say. But for this episode, it's going to be Detective Comics 967 and Batman issues 34, or I should say 33 and 34. So for our rating scale, Dean, I'm thinking it has to be something with Kevin Costner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just spending so much time talking about it. Uh... How about, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Tim. How about, yeah, see, this has to be someone, it's Kevin Costner, but what could it be? Or how about actors that uh, had more of a British accent than Kevin Costner <laughs> did while playing Robin Hood? Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> we'll go with that one. So first up is going to be a Batman Detective Comics number 967. This one's continuing the Lonely Place of Living story arc. And I love the introduction to this issue where it's Batman looking at Tim Drake's desk, going over it, trying to figure out what he missed, knowing that he's still alive and out there somewhere. And Alfred comes down, you know, telling me he needs some sleep. And just, I just love the frustration that Batman's showing here, you know, knowing that he's out there and he can't find him. He even says, like, I'm called the greatest detective on the planet, but I'm not showing it right here. I can't figure out where he's at. But just showing the frustration and the concern he had for Tim, I just thought was really well done in this beginning sequence here. But then Alfred gets uh, an alert on the back computer and its map saying that Tim's beacon has been activated since he was brought back in the last issue. So Batman goes to that spot to try to find him. But Tim's already being rushed into a hospital after being shocked by the future Tim. And he's, you know, they're saying he's about to go into cardiac arrest. So they bring the charge paddles, try to revive him. Then Bruce just walks in right pretty much after they get him back 
and just saying that tells everyone to leave the room. And then you get a nice, you know, re reunion with Tim and Bruce here as uh, Batman goes over to hug him and just, you know, just saying he's sorry that, he, you know, he that he couldn't find him and knowing that he was still alive. But, you know, Tim says it's OK and already wants to get back to work knowing there's a bigger threat out there. And so then we get uh, his reunion with the rest of the Bat uh, family here. And uh, one critique I have here, I guess, I was hoping for a little, you know, more of a reaction or reunion with the other team, knowing how close they were in those early issues. But, it, I mean, it was nice to just a little too short. It's like only one page. And it's just Tim hugging Cassandra saying he missed her and then everyone else in the background. And kind of getting reacquainted with Luke since he joined up while after he left. And then he's asking, you know, he's telling them the plan of future Tim saying he's here to kill Batwoman and what they need to do to prevent it. And he's saying, oh, maybe we should wait for Spoiler to get here. Like, where is she? And he obviously hasn't been told of what transpired with Spoiler leaving the team. So then the next page is um, following Spoiler heading back to her hideout. And this is an awesome splash page of her swinging over the Gotham skies in her costume. I said it before, but she has one of the coolest costumes and it's on full display here on this one splash page with her swinging in the night sky with the moon in the background. This is a really, really cool shot that she goes back, takes her helmet off. Um, future Tim is hiding in the shadows and all, all he says is, I'm sorry, Stephanie, I should have listened, but I'll put things right. And she's like the shock. She knows like he's in the Batman costume, but you can kind of tell she knows that wasn't the Batman, the Bruce Batman there. She's just taken full on surprise that, uh, someone was there. So Tim lays out his plan to, you know, try to tap trap his future self. He has Batwoman locked up in a cell thinking that Batman will try to come from him. And, you know, he has Azrael Clayface and uh, Cassandra, you know, ready to take him down once he gets there. And one little fun sequence here I thought was kind of funny where he calls the team the Gotham Knights. And he's like, oh, did I not say that out loud? That's what I've been calling us in my head this whole time because everyone questioned, like, are we called the Gotham Knights now or something? He goes, yeah, I thought I said that before. But they go, what do you call yourselves? Batwoman's all, we're just called the team. He's all, really? <laughs> like, I even brought in a round table. Of course, we're going to have Knights as part of our name. So hopefully the name Gotham Knights will stick for this team because that's always a great uh, theme to have or a title to have for a team. And Maybe we're a little biased because we got our podcast starts on the Gotham Knights website. So it'd be nice if they uh, brought that name back into this. So as Tim and Bruce have a little conversation, they start trying to wonder, you know, if the future Tim's going to come here. But then they realize, you know, if you were back in a world uh, that you held on to for so long and is better than the one uh, that you have in the future, like, wouldn't you want to go back to the place where everything, you know, was was so well and like the memories that you have? And then transitions to Wayne Manor where future Tim sees Alfred. And this was a nice moment here. Tim just takes off the cowl of Batman, sees Alfred and like saying how good it is to see him. He gives him a hug and he doesn't beat around the bush either, either as far as, you know, trying to hide who he really is. He tells him like, no, I'm Tim from the future. And, you know, I have the burden of wearing the cowl and Alfred feels sorry for him saying like, I never thought that you would be the one to have that burden. And then Tim's kind of questioning himself, like, to go through what he has to do with killing Batwoman. He's asked Alfred for advice, you know, like saying, if you can do something, if there was something that could set me free from this burden and a terrible reality that awaits me, like, should I do it? And then Alfred kind of questions him, like, well, what are you planning to do? But then the rest of the team shows up, or the other Robins, uh, Nightwing, Red Hood, and Damien are all there to take him down. And what's cool about this sequence is we've heard in the past in other stories how 
in the future, Tim could be like the ultimate Batman with his smarts and the training that he does. It was on display here. And he even tells him, you know, I've been training for 15 years, like mastering each of your different fighting styles. I could easily take take you out, which he does. And they get unfortunately, we don't see it. We just see it the next panel sequence where uh, Batman and the other Bat team are rest or Batman and Tim are in the Batcave. And Tim just, you know, sends Red Hood, Nightwing, and Robin just crashing down through there, easily taking him out, but we don't see it, which was unfortunate. But uh, then Tim reveals, the future Tim reveals that he's not actually here just for sentimental value. This is all part of his plan because he reveals that the Bat computer is connected to the program that, you know, really changed the future and made it a worse place. And Bruce knows what he's talking about. He goes, no. And Jason does ask, like, what are you hiding here? Like, what did you build? And Tim just feels, let me show you. He says, activate a brother eye. Then we just get this cool page to close out the issue with Tim sitting down on the back computer in the brother eye logo. But it's a really cool pose of Tim in the dark, in his Batman cowl in the dark with a, a cool a lens, white eyes coming out of the shadows. It's just very visually, you know, just an awesome shot of Batman. So another solid issue. Of, I just like the story that they're telling with Tim in the future and then Tim being reunited here with the rest of the team. And just curious to see what's going to happen to future Tim. How is it going to be resolved? Is he, you know, going to go back to the future still as the evil version of Batman? Is he going to redeem himself? Is he going to sacrifice himself in some way? So it's going to be interesting to see where it all plays out. But this is another solid issue. So I'm going to give it four out of five actors who had more of a British accent than Kevin Costner did in Robin Hood. I think he's going back to the future, Tim. <laughs> If it's whether it's going to be in a DeLorean or not, that remains to be seen. (laughs) But Batman issues 33 and 34, as Jordan indicated, uh, Batman and Catwoman are already off in the desert together. It's like an early honeymoon before the wedding. (laughs) They're off on this desert trip. And the issue gets off on kind of a somber note as we see Batman handing a shotgun to Catwoman, needing to put down a horse who just couldn't survive the desert heat, which kind of sucked, but... I will say visually, this comic starts off really beautifully with the desert landscapes and just showing you know how vast it is. And Batman and Catwoman's outfit. Batman's outfit's kind of like uh, the outfit he had in Batman v Superman and the Nightmare sequence, which is which I really love. So I'm kind of glad to see it's continuing here in the comics. I think it looked really cool. And so yeah, that stuff as Jordan mentioned in his email, it's about them uh, searching for someone, and it turns out to be Talia at the end. And reading that at first, like that, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, where you know Talia is, you know, the mother of Bruce's son, so maybe he's going there to let her know, like in some way, not get permission from her, but kind of make amends or just you know, kind of just tell her what's going on, knowing that he's the mother or she's the mother of his son, and now he's marrying Selena Kyle. But that wasn't the case, and I'll get to that in the next issue. But I did really love the moments here with you know the rest of the bat family with dick uh damien jason and uh luke or not luke uh duke uh kind of all just sitting on the couch waiting for alfred and alfred tells them you know that bruce is engaged and they're just all in shock and damien actually has a nice moment here where uh jason is saying he's telling duke you know you're the latest robin you should have done something robin is supposed to you know brighten his dark side and prevent him from marrying uh, criminals and villains but uh, duke say hey you know i'm the new guy but i'm not robin damien is and damien's all like it's true and he starts crying and he's realizing 
uh, where Bruce is going because he's going to a restricted area that's off limits to anyone by the UN and even the Justice League. The Justice League helped with that emotion and Batman's going there anyway. And Damien starts crying because uh, he goes, you know, he, I know what he's going there for. It's because, you know, before he marries Catwoman, he has to go see, you know, my mother. And he he knows that she is there waiting for him. That's how the issue ends with uh, it being revealed that Talia is waiting in this temple in the desert. So this is a pretty good issue. I liked more the uh, Robin dynamic between all the different Robins than the Batman and Catwoman stuff, besides looking really good visually from an artistic standpoint. So I'll give this one three out of five actors who did more of a British accent than Kevin Costner did in Robin Hood. But for issue number 34, uh, this one I thought was a little bit weaker because it, it begins, you know, with Batman and Catwoman after, you know, realizing they were there for Talia, they are fati- facing off a bunch of her ninja men and who don't have tongues, apparently. <laughs> Bat or Catwoman try to talk some sense into them. And this is where it's a little hit and miss for me. Some of Batman and Catwoman's dialogue, uh, some of it was fun and good, and some of it was kind of eye-rolling, I gotta say. It's kind of like the two married couple like fighting together, having like the typical dialogue or interaction that a married couple will have. It is kind of like, eh, I don't know if that worked too much. Like there was a moment where Batman just tells Catwoman, have I told you how good you looked lately or something like that as in the middle of a fight? This felt like a, too much of a cliche you see in like action movies or comic stories where like two characters who are love interests for each other having that type of dialogue while they're fighting their enemies. This you know, didn't work for me all the way. But the best part, again, in the story continues to be uh, the interactions between the other Rollins. This time, Dick and Damien actually go to the desert to try to find Selina and Bruce. Uh, but, you know, Superman's there preventing the entrance to her because he knows it's off limits. And in the first issue, he was actually called Alfred asking where Bruce is, knowing that someone has ventured in there, not realizing it was Bruce himself. So Superman goes there to see Damien and Dick and tries to stop them from venturing in. But he has to leave because there's an alien invasion in Central City and it just takes off. But my favorite part here is interaction that Damien and Dick have as Superman leaves. Uh, Damien realizes he can't go through that temple. He has to wait. And then Dick goes, you know, I'll wait with you as well. And then the, da- Damien just says thanks to Dick saying, you know, you came with you came with me when the others would not. And I just love Dick's response says, you know, you and me, kiddo, from the beginning all the way to the end. Just harking back to those early Batman and Robin days from Grant Morrison's run and just how awesome Dick and Damien's dynamic was. And I'm just glad that their bond and their relationships continuing this far along after that story arc. So I love seeing that here. So Batman and Catwoman take down all those ninjas, but they're exhausted. And that's when Talia comes in to face Batman, because that was the whole point. She wanted to get him tired so she can beat him. But here's the thing where I'm not too sure on. The reason they're there to see Talia is because uh, Batman tells her they're here for Holly Robinson. And we know we got the reveal in earlier issues with uh, Tom King's run for Batman and Catwoman. She's the one who killed those 237 people that Catwoman took the blame on. And she left Gotham. And now I guess Bruce and Selina tracked her down here. And that's why they're here. I guess more it's for on Selina's end to kind of put closure on this thing. So I don't know what they're going to do when they find Holly Robinson. Maybe try to bring her in, uh, have her, you know, get justice for those crimes i'm not sure what they intend to do but i was kind of hoping like i said it was more hinging on batman and cat and batman and talia's relationship now that he's marrying selena he had to face her in some way 
to let her know Liz, but it turns out to be more on Catwoman's end. So wasn't too crazy about that. But the issue ends with Talia taking down Batman because he was so exhausted. But now she has to fight Catwoman. And that's where the issues end. So this one was just okay. I'm going to give it two and a half out of five British actors who had a Brutus accent more than Kevin Costner did in the Robin Hood movie. So <laughs> there's only one more issue in the short story arc. So we'll see how it wraps up. But yeah, yeah. it's just okay. <laughs> All right. So I guess that's it, right? Yep, that's it. All right, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, and at, at BatmanUniverse on Twitter. The show's Twitter handle is at BatfansPodcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. And my Back Twitter to the handle, 3 one yep. yeah. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at DaneSaysBanana. Well, I, I've, I've said it like at TimG311, and it doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's true. You have been, you know, yeah. nice to me on the last few episodes. So, <laughs> um, our Twitter, I mean, not our Twitter handle, or if you want to email the show, you can email the show at bathtimeswithoutpants at gmail.com. So, with that, what do we say at the end of every single episode here? We love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts. <laughs> all, bad hearts. <laughs> all right, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody, for Justice League. <laughs>